0: Alright, what's going on everyone? Welcome to episode 11 of Behind the Bench and season 2 of Behind the Bench. We took a little break last week. Wanted to give you guys some time to catch up on episodes, but we're going to keep buzzing now. Um, Obviously, it was the holiday uh, season, so again, happy holidays. Hope everyone had a safe one and a good one. Um, Obviously different with COVID and all that BS, but anyways, let's get right into the episode. Here's what we've got on tap. Um. The World Jays, what happened with the World Juniors, Toronto Raptors, stinking like usual. Um, Our interview was with Mike Camito, which we'll get into a little bit later. Absolute Beauty was a great interview. Um, Then we're going to talk about our NHL draft, fantasy draft that we had for the BTB hockey pool, which was awesome. A lot of fun. And then we'll always cap it off with our Q&A. And we'll send it over to Tom for our... I'd read from our friends at Silver Cross.
1: All right, thank you, Alex. Silver Cross Sudbury proudly serves Sudbury, North Bay, Elliot LA Lake, Sturgeon Falls, Espanola, and the Manitoulin Island District. Making a difference in our clients' lives and providing solutions to help them with their healthcare needs is our priority. And that's a little message from Dean and Chantal Jacqueline who are the owners of Silver Cross Sudbury. Silver Cross Sudbury sells the following products, stair lifts, curved stair lifts, porch lifts, deck lifts, ceiling lifts, wheelchair lifts, just to name a few. Silver Cross Sudbury also provides the following services, free and home assessments, installation, service for stair lifts, wheelchair lifts, and other mobility equipment. Contact Dean and Chantel Jacqueline for any healthcare need by phone at 705-222-0700, that is 705-222-0700, or visit them on their website or on their Facebook page. Great people and family, but more importantly, the best people for what they do.
0: Every time he reads it, he gets a little bit better, a little bit better, a little more fluid. He's doing good also with the new mic, courtesy of Silver Cross. So thank Silver you for Cross. hooking up the boys with some equipment. We really appreciate it. It's only going to make this podcast better. All right, ladies and gentlemen, listen, the vote came in and the song's staying. Let's cue in April Wine, episode 11, live behind the bench.
2: Seems as though I've lived my life on the bad side of the moon stir your dregs and sickness still without a rustic spoon now come on people live with me where the light has never shown and the hornets flock like hummingbirds speaking in a foreign tongue this is my life this is my life
0: what's going on everyone welcome episode 11 like we said behind the bench boys are back in action after a little break um and man what a break it's been and we're going to send over time how you doing brother
1: it's good man back to reality today uh the the break i don't know about you alex flew by like it feels like we wrote that last exam and then we're back into reality now it was good uh since this pandemic i guess like it's obviously been going but we got back into lockdown, so I haven't been really doing much. been going a lot of nature walks. Last week, I went to Heavey Park, did a little bit of snowshoeing, so that was nice to get outside. Yeah, Macy liked that. Three kilometers, body was in shambles. Snowshoeing is actually kind of tough in a sense, but it's uh, it was something different for me to get outside, and uh, it was good. I'm excited to uh, get this episode out of the way, and it's good to see you boys. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, let's send it over to Mason Money Savage. What's going on, brother? Hey, Are you Tom. Standing- yeah, standing I'm up right. standing up right now.
3: It. Yeah, ergonomic <laughs> yeah, desk, you know? Best. Standing desk. Uh, no, I'm actually coming live from a uh, a new environment, so not in the usual basement. Can breathe a little better, so it's good. But <laughs> Tom, uh, I got snowshoes for Christmas. I missed the invite, though, I guess.
1: No. Well, you, you and Kaylee,
3: like, was it a little date? Yeah, a little bit of date. <laughs> oh, a little wow. bit of date
1: plus one. Taylor Murphy joined us, her neighbor, soon to be guest on the podcast. No uh, oh. No teasing there for the guest. Well, but, glad uh, to hear you're out of the doghouse. no we have to go mace it was
3: actually fun yeah no we'll uh black lake once the lockdown's done let's do it i'm in but uh yeah i'll help you guys out the rink is destroyed right now uh we've had a couple good sessions Uh, a couple of guys from down the lake saw by but now the break i don't know if i can call it a break for myself but it's uh it's been an the, interesting couple of weeks for sure. Did
1: you, uh, did you get into that bottle of red wine I got you for
3: Christmas? Oh yeah, shout out Tom for the bottle shout of wine. Out Tom that uh, that was done, and I felt it the next morning for sure. <laughs> nice. But uh, no, that was no free ads. But we'll we'll shout out Josh from uh, the Josh Winery.
1: No kidding, it's been a while. This is this is uh, we got a little pep in the steps. Chema, what's uh, what's up with you? How's your break? How's your break, buddy? Yeah,
0: man, it was good. Not much going on. I feel like you know. In, in the summer, golf was kind of the getaway during this pandemic. It was kind of the only thing to do now. ODRs and kind of nature walks, like you said, are the only thing to do. Maybe doing this podcast as well. Um, yeah. so yeah, man, it's it's been good. It's been tough. Just you know, miss going out to a restaurant with the boys and just kind of hanging out, having a couple, couple, you know. So I've uh, been missing it, but uh, let's get right into the episode, boys. Here we go. Um, yeah, talk.
1: Before you go on, on that note, do you are you a type of guy that likes to go out? Love going of, out. Like, love
3: going out? Love going out, yeah. Mason. Chimino's the life of the town. I know, That's right. I know. I was just... Find him at the Colson when, when on Ste- Wednesday at 9 That's
0: Now, okay. When Steven Johnson hits me up and saying we're going to the FANG, like, it's it's a must. You got to go. Like, if the boys are saying we're going somewhere, like, it's, it's a must. You got to go.
1: No, I'll, I was just curious because, like, I love eating out, know, too. I can eat out probably every night. If I lived, like, say, downtown Toronto, I would be out every night. It just it's you get a different
0: vibe right like depending
3: yeah on it's the just like the
0: atmosphere seeing people you know it, it's it's nice I it's fun remember
3: what it's like to I socialize outside I yeah and just like to zoom
1: my uh my favorite quote that alex knows is if you go out just put it on the visa you don't see it for the next month so you have to pay it off so just if you go yeah, out or to cash there.
0: tom tom's favorite <laughs> or cash yeah
3: Get a bank loan from every single. No, I'm, I'm more worried about the golf course opening up. That's all I care about right now.
0: Yeah, I think I think especially because
3: like, the ID's charging me 400 bucks a month for my membership. Right. Yeah,
0: now. like before, I think I think golf is like the safest thing you can do during Corona. Like that's kind of like active. Um. So hopefully we get something going, and uh, hopefully we get that ID Cup rolling once again, and the match that we got to do so. Yeah. Bunch of stuff on the goal this summer. I
1: mentioned 90 cup. I'm like working my balls off to get this tryout out, but who knows if there's going to be a season. So
0: yeah, we'll see. Hopefully the Red Wings uh, don't make a run as well. And uh, yeah. And also breaking news.
1: Alex McCullough, stepbrother to Mason is uh sayonara. C and never or what? So
3: uh it, it's pretty much confirmed but uh maybe next week we'll get him on the pod to talk about yes. uh, his future plans for the summer of what 2021
0: yes the rumor mill's been buzzing during the society cup offseason a lot of questions been asked on there's, alex there's rumors future.
3: of him looking at memberships at the georgian bay club wow mad river wow. so there there could be an opening to him, alex
0: McCullough, Alex mccullough had a seven days in Utopia. I don't know what happened. He 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 took off for like a week before the finals and and found himself and became like a scratch golfer for for a, a round it was unbelievable. If,
1: uh, if if he joins us next week, we we should post that Zoom uh, for the first YouTube uh, video. Just, so <laughs> all, just so all the girls can take a look at this guy's uh, yeah,
0: man, rocket. Okay, yeah. boys, let's get into it. World Juniors uh, watched it. It was a tough. It was a tough end. They lost two nothing to the States, Um, but in my opinion, I thought it was a perfect game played by the States. They swallowed up the middle of the ice, and you know people don't agree with what Trevor Zegers said about this is the first big test Canada had. Well, you kind of have to agree with him, and I and I said it before during the preview. Canada coming out of the group stage is not gonna have a lot of competition. I was scared that when they would play the States or when they would play Russia. They handled Russia, but the States is just what was another beast this year. Tom.
1: Okay. Well, you mentioned Trevor Zegras. Um, let me just read you this stat I found on Twitter from a guy named Chris Peters. Okay, so the tweet says, most insane Trevor Zegras stat beyond the records. According to eliteprospects.com Zegras ranks fifth all-time among multiple junior participants with a minimum of 10 games played. He averaged 2.25 points per game. He is behind Peter Forsberg, Marcus Naslin, Essa Keskinen, and Vladimir Krutov. So he finished pretty two years. Uh, yeah, pretty elite company. He finished 27 points in 12 games in the World Juniors. So Unreal. He's, I think he's going to have a successful career in any show, but uh, the interview was a little cocky. But he he came out and what had he backed
0: points. it up. You gotta you, up. you gotta kind of respect it as much as you, you hate it, you kind of have to eat it on the chin. Um, yeah, yeah
3: Mace, how about uh, Kyle Galver tweeted July 5th, 2011. Yeah, remember the name Trevor Zegras, Edmonton. There was, there was
1: there was a lot for me for that one too, but I, I guess like nobody wants to tweet that or anything, but I had a lot of those too. To look out, out, out for the grocery
3: stick of the telescope
1: <laughs> I but, love uh, my thoughts on that game though i i like you said alex the states actually to me played a perfect game and it, it felt like this year was the first time they've overcome of like that running gun type of thing or being a little bit sloppy or known for giving up that easy chances in the slot like i found like they, they were just, really yeah. good they shut it down. they they, they really they got their
0: it. two goals and and it felt like uh Canada just was on their heels almost the entire game yeah it was
1: yeah yeah I don't know why they would put I think for the first two periods they had Bowen Byram and Drysdale against Zgrass's line I don't know if I would have matched those two you with, try and go your best against the best yeah but it's tough in a sense those two are too offensive like you have other first round people that are maybe better at stay
0: at home defense right and and, and and that was a problem. I feel like Alex Turney, the coach probably had a problem with line matching, switching up lines. Cause he didn't really have to do it at all. All turn, right. like making big adjustments. Um, he had the one line going, the byfield perfetti. And I think he was switching with Zeri. I forget who the other guy was, but they were, they were the best line of the night. Yeah. But f- like they sh- the states shut it right down. Um, Canada, listen, it was probably one of the best teams they had on paper. Yeah, they missed Kirby Doc. Also, forgot to ma- forget to mention that they could have had Alexis Lafreniere too. Right. So right. Well, then, like, and then you can say the states could have had Jack Hughes though. It's, it's it, well, exactly. It's the same yeah. thing, um, but I think it, it was just a lack of playing good teams in a group stage that really hurt. They didn't face any adversity in terms of being down. They were never down in the tournament
1: yeah so uh this is actually cool a tweet from our boy mike comito who is the episode for this podcast tweeted spencer knight is 20 minutes away from a shutout this was like during the game it's been nine years since a goaltender got a shutout in a gold medal game so it'd be a quite the accomplishment if Knight can get a shutout it would be a shame if someone jinxed a shutout and he didn't get a shutout so little mikey comito was trying to uh get the hockey gods on Canada's side to get a goal in for them but uh what a cool tweet. Nine years, because Spencer Knight actually did finish with a shutout, so it was nine yeah. years since uh, anyone got a shutout in the gold medal game, so good for him. Uh, yeah. Florida, Florida actually has him and Askarov, right? No, Askarov went to Nashville? Pardon? Where did uh, Russia's goalie go? Uh,
3: who cares, but Levi is in Florida. Let's
1: no, yeah. Let's talk. Spencer Knight and uh Levi, and Levi.
0: Devin okay. Levi out of nowhere. Quinn Byfield, all those guys. Are saying we never heard of this guy when they came into camp. He was absolute stud. Feel bad for him. Wasn't his he, fault either. For sure, he not. had a great he had a great tournament. Um. Also, the camera guys. The camera struck back against Canada. I don't know if you guys noticed that Trevor Ziegler's goal. It bounced That's right tough. off the camera, the back of the net. If few uh, look back into the, to the tournament with Baird Hayton. uh they won off the camera from the TSN, a, a huge part of it anyways. Um, but I think, I think we spent enough time, Tom.
1: No, no, I got lots more actually. So don't, uh, don't rush me. All right. Okay. So the last 12 years here are the gold medal winners in the world junior. So USA now has four gold medals in the last 12 years. Finland has three. Canada has three. Sweden only has one. Russia only has one. So America looks like uh, the Americans are going to be a powerhouse. Right. Wait
3: till Red Savage makes his debut for them, Red too. Savage, Watch out,
1: Red Savage, baby. And that's a little tweet from James Myrtle from Twitter. But one thing, Finland wins bronze, right, Alex? We can't uh, get away from the medal round because Canada lost to the States. But I have to acknowledge my leaf here who got the uh, best defenseman, Topi N- Niemela. Okay, so it's good that you can pronounce out. his name.
3: You'll never hear him again.
1: All right, listen. Listen to the company. I got best defenseman in the world juniors. And tell me if you know. I think we know. we
0: like, No, not no. Since 2008, problem.
1: the following players have won the world juniors best defenseman. Okay? Doughty, Carlson, Petrangelo, Ellis, Truba, Ristolainen, Rowensky, Shabbat, Dahling, and then Sandin last year, and now Namila. So, a 8.7 games, third round pick to the Leafs. I'm excited right-handed defenseman, Him and Morgan Riley. next couple of years, never know.
0: Yeah, you never know. Leafs still stink.
1: Um, right.
0: Yeah, Tom. I sorry. thought that was
1: pretty cool, though. How about that company?
0: It's, it's good company. It's what you expect out of the top defenseman at of the World Junior Tournament. All right. Just saying. All right. Well, okay. Uh, okay, let's move on, Tom.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Thanks. <laughs> um, Wednesday night, opening night, NHL
3: at least play the Habs, though. So. Are you yeah, stay up? tuned I'm for that. For Watch record. out. You, you, you want to put a red bill on that, Tom? Yeah, sure. Tom.
0: Tom's Would gonna shave lose, his head. Shape, by,
3: yeah, yeah. Loser shaves their head.
1: I actually have a bet with James Green per Leafs Habs game. It's I think it's ten bucks per game. So they play each other. I think ten times. So I could have. Uh, chances are they won't go ten and zero for a hundred dollars. But
3: do you, you want to double that up? I'll play that with you.
1: No. no. Maybe we'll we'll decide.
0: Tom, how about we have a bet? Whoever wins the season series has to shave their head. Oh, me! I'll have no problem doing that.
1: I'm not shaving my head. You think, Look at my hair, man. If I lose that, I, it's not. I'll a run a marathon. I'll run a marathon before shaving my head. Why are you scared about shaving your head, Tom? Because look at my hair. It's the best
0: quality I got. I think your nose is the best quality <laughs> you got. It's All right. chiseled like a Greek god. <laughs> okay. No,
1: it's the hair. It's the hair and the smile that get the ladies. Yeah, we'll ask
0: Kaylee or,
1: about uh, that. Or Lady.
0: We'll ask we'll Kaylee. Ask we'll have to bring her on. Okay. Lady, not ladies. Let, yeah, watch old Tom. Back <laughs> in the doghouse. All right, let's uh, move on. Raptors, holy shit. They are terrible. Two and seven. Two and seven. They lost uh, Golden State Warriors last night, 106-105. They fouled. I don't even know who the guy was at the three-point line. They looked Damian
1: like, Lee. Don't don't count him out. Damian Lee, baby. Ice in his veins. He, he
0: jumped... He jumped and the Raps bit as if he's not going to try and go back to Curry. And then they foul him. So, anyways, what what a shit show ending. And then Pascal Siakam, who, listen, I know people have come at me. I'm not a big fan of Pascal Siakam. I think he's very one-dimensional. But here's what I got to say. He has stepped up his game. He's playing to what someone would expect, someone that's getting – 35 million dollars a year to play at now he's starting to pick it up he had a game-winning shot had a good look and didn't hit it you know that's to me i don't know pascal siakam but, uh,
1: did you hear nikki nurse come out in the interview after saying he was Plan b so
0: like i, I don't know like he, he took a shot he he was comfortable with it but at the end of the day you gotta make it man but uh I think the Raps... What, what brings
1: that record for them now? Two and six or something like that. Two and
0: seven, two and seven. Also, it's not even Pascal Siakam. Not even the biggest problem. Their defense stinks. I think they let like thir- sixty three points before the half. I, That's embarrassing.
1: I think they're, they're. I think they're lacking at the center position because the guys they brought in. Agreed. Think, honestly, Aaron Baines. Alex does he even play anymore?
0: Does, yeah. does Aaron Baines? So, do you trade Lowry maybe for a center? It's tough. It's though. not like they're gonna win anymore. Trade Lowry for picks and a center. I don't know.
1: Remember, remember a couple of episodes ago, I said if they got to like one and eight, I'd be a little bit worried, hitting the panic button. But well, now they're at two and, two seven, and seven, so, so we're, we're pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, like Messiah, they're, they're in good hands with Masai. So I don't know. It's just frustrating. I feel like how uh, scary Masai is gonna leave.
0: Yeah, here's the problem.
3: He hasn't signed he, his contract.
0: Yeah, here's the problem in Toronto they can attract free agents for some reason there's this thing that these guys think like it's moving to the north pole when you're coming to it's like we got to wear a parkour's blah, blah blah all these guys come from <laughs> california whatever it's it's a big deal to move to toronto when they, they don't realize like toronto's like a mini new york like and then once you get over it and you live there you actually like the place and Canada's is a great place to live as well but they can't affa- attract free agents. So the only way the Raps are going to be good is, one, they make a trade like they did when they got Kawhi. That's the only reason they got Kawhi. And then Kawhi was sayonara going to uh, L.A. Maybe they try and get him back. I don't know. Okay, later. They're going to have to draft well, bring someone in, or make a trade. That's the only way the rats will ever be good again. There's no other way. There's no way they bring in a good free agent. I thought Giannis would, but he signed He signed his I know ticket,
1: right? Um, th- th- I just feel like... They've had so many games this year with, like, 30 seconds left when they can't close out that, you know, two to three point. They deal. always
0: keep it close, like, in the first half, first half, and then it, it all goes to shit near the end. Like They don't have that X factor out like they did with Kawhi. They don't have that guy they can give the
1: ball to. Pascal
0: Siakam's not that guy. He's I not know. that guy. It's it's
1: obvious. He does everything else right, though, but I don't think he's ready just yet. He could yep. be ready in the next couple of years for that last shot.
0: And- and their defense stinks. And finally, Nick Nurse started to play the bench a little bit more. Which I is think nice you listen to, to our podcast, you, you Malachi Flynn. A little, little bump to Malachi Flynn. But did you hear what Nick Nurse said about him? No. He was like, yeah. The one game he went like, I don't know, he went like one for whatever. And Nick Nurse was on there like, yeah, like I'm not going to lie to you. He didn't really do much out there. He, he was a non-factor. It was like, imagine being a, a first-round pick and hearing your coach say that. I, Nick Nurse got a be facing some type of heat. No, Tom?
1: Um, yeah. If it's like, I was going to bring this up when you mentioned Siakam. I think he's facing a little bit of heat because I don't know if he's controlling his players good enough. Hear me out because Siakam was allowed just to leave the court. Remember, what game was that? He did, um, but he did get suspended for it. Okay, see. So, I don't know. Like, I don't think he's facing. He he got coach of the year last year. Like, it's early. It's only ten
0: games in, right? Agreed. Know. Agreed. I'm just I'm just putting park. the question yeah. out there, yeah, mates. No. I
3: saw you shaking your head. What What do you think? Oh, he's good. Like their apps, their seven losses are also very tight games. Like they're leading and good, at good points. Like, like good teams. they could easily be seven and two instead of two and seven if they just close out a few of those games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like but the, the
1: Suns was- game. Shamil, what, what hurt me the most is to lose to the Warriors when Curry shoots two for 16 with no team? That,
0: that Celtics game, they were up like 17 to 2. They started on fire, like draining everything. I think it was the Celtics game or the, yeah. or the Suns game.
2: Yeah. But, no, uh, was-
0: anyways, that's the wraps. That's enough wraps talk. It's, it's going to make us sick. Let's uh, move on to our interview. Big interview today. Mike Comito. And if you don't know who Mike Comito is, go f- search him up on Twitter. The guy's got 10,000 followers and he's a huge hockey historian works for the LA Kings as well as a, a historian for the Sudbury Wolves. Um, and this guy knew a lot about, a lot about the history of hockey, which, which is awesome. And he actually wrote a book on it, which we'll, we'll talk about in a sec, Tom. Um, actually, you know what? I'll bring it up right now. So he wrote a book that we talked about. It's called hockey three, six, five. So every day there's a, he counts leap year too. So there's actually three hundred sixty six stories of hockey um from every day of the year and whatever there was a, a piece of history on each and a second book is coming out soon so keep your eyes peeled for that and we'll send it over to tom what was your thoughts on the interview buddy
1: thoughts on the interview well i basically uh i felt like i was his best friend after he said it, he said it was he's a, he was a big lease fan So that was cool to see. I did not know that coming in. And I kind of messed up in the intro, the saying that he was born and raised from Sudbury, Ontario. That was uh, all
0: time. That was uh, all
1: time. He corrected me in the interview pretty good there. But um, Mike Camillo, good guy. Um, Like Alex, we barely even know him before we had him on. And I felt like we've, we had this friendship. I was actually talking to him during the World Junior Game message him on Twitter. So that was cool. But uh, yeah, just a lot of cool stories. That book is awesome. I think we're going to be doing a little segment for that book moving forward. So stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, look to maybe hopefully get Mike back on soon. And
0: uh, there's a lot, lot of stuff that we want to talk about. Like we just couldn't crunch in an uh, hour.
3: How about that Gretzky story? We'll we'll leave it at that because I want the listeners. We'll talk
0: about that after. Mace, any thoughts, bud, or do you want to save it for later?
3: No, I think uh, Mike's interview is great. Tom, Tom's intro is horrible, though. This guy (laughs) stuttered. I I stuttered. I stuttered. Yeah, I did. He's nervous. nervous. It's a big nervous. nervous.
1: Mace, this guy's got the blue check mark on Twitter. Fuck, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, i take
3: it be easy be on me, man. Just gotta be constructive.
0: I know, I know.
3: I think Mace I tells a... it your, how it is. Your ad, your ad reads are fire.
0: Yeah, he's getting better. Yeah, <laughs> this is what's gonna help you with the book, which I'll segue to. Mikey, Tom's gonna be Mikey reading.
1: Gonna, wait, wait, before you segue, Mikey Camino's gonna hire me to do the audiobook since I can actually read now somewhat.
0: So <laughs> exactly. So hockey three six five. It's easy. A page a day, and you get a story from each each page so it's easy for tom to read and if tom can read it anyone can read it when when it comes to hockey 365 so just like i'm stupid so just we're going to preview the book here as a little shout out ad read here for uh, mike and then we'll get into the interview so a few seconds can make a game even a season and behind each play is a piece of history mike Mito marks Every day of the year with a great moment in hockey and shows how today's game is part of an ongoing story that dates back to its origins on frozen ponds. From the National Hockey League's first games in 1917 to Austin Matthews' electric fine four-goal debut for uh, for the Maple Leafs in 2016, Hockey 365 has something for everyone and is sure to give you a better appreciation for the sport we all love. Mike Comito is a hockey historian and writer. His work has appeared on the Athletic Sportsnet and Vice Sports and in the Hockey News. He lives in Sudbury, Ontario. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Comito and he's everywhere that you can find him. Anywhere you can find him, he's going to be at Mike Comito. So without any further ado, let's turn it over to an interview with Mike Comito.
1: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this individual is born and raised in Summary, Ontario, and he is arguably one of the best people to follow on Twitter for daily updates/slash reminders of historic moments that have happened in hockey. Also, has ten thousand followers on his Twitter account and is followed by the Spit and Chicklets Boys. Not a big deal. He has booked. He has a book called Hockey Three Sixty Five that expands on these historic moments in hockey. Check it out on the Amazon. This, in, this gentleman has done work for Vice Sports Sportsnet, and in May t- 2018, he became the Sudbury Wolves historian. To add on to this stacked resume of his, he is a writer for the Los Angeles Kings of the National Hockey League. You can now see this individual as a director of applied research at Cabrian College while tweeting some unreal moments in hockey. We are pleased to be joined by this special, this special social media phenom in the name of Mike Camuto. Welcome to the Behind the Bench podcast, Mike.
4: Oh, that's quite the intro. Thanks for being here.
1: <laughs> um, one little story that I had actually this morning I was scrolling through Twitter and I noticed uh, I'm not sure if you knew who tweeted at you or whatever but uh, shouldn't you be at the uh, bronze medal game and the world juniors you looked like the uh, goalie for Russia of uh, Askarov
4: yeah that was uh, that's one of the one of my buddies I play hockey with and uh, I've, I've never heard that before but like I told him that uh, my my nose is at least twice the size of that goalie so there's no way like that.
0: <laughs> that's no way else. I bet you can hold on to a goalie stick a little bit better than him right now. I'll put yeah. my money on that for sure. <laughs> that <is cool.
2: laughs>
0: so how you been, Mike? What have you been up to so far uh, and how you've been coping with uh, the pandemic?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't complain. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. Uh, we had our second daughter um, the day before the lockdown happened. Wow. So uh, my wife and I got back from the hospital on, I guess it was Monday morning. And then, um, I had to go into work Monday afternoon to tell my, my, my team that they had to pack up their stuff because we were shutting down and, you know, we didn't know how long we'd be gone for. Obviously it's almost a year later and we're still not working on campus. So, um, you know, it's, it's been great. I've obviously had a little, a lot more time at home with the girls, which has been kind of cool because obviously in a normal time, you know, I'd be at the office every day. And so I get to see the girls, you know, in the morning and when I came home at night, but you know, be able to be able to work from home, which does have its challenges from time to time, at least, you know getting some extra time in is, is always nice. And, you know, it's been productive. Obviously I think, obviously I think early on when the pandemic first hit in March, you know, I think that extended period we didn't have sports from like from March to I guess like roughly August by the time like meaningful hockey came back. Um, It was obviously an interesting time for me as a freelance writer because, you know, with the Kings and the Wolves not playing, I didn't really do a lot of writing for them. I had a few stories for the Kings that I had banked away that kind of came out in in April, but really after May that I was kind of done with, with my writing until you have the new season started. And obviously with the Kings, like we're still waiting for that to happen because they were in the playoffs. Uh, but ultimately it kind of led to some, you know, some kind of cool things. I wasn't planning on writing another book, but obviously with, with not being able to do anything for the Kings and the Wolves, I figured, you know, this is a really good time. I'm not, I'm probably not going to have like another eight or nine months where I don't, I'm not contributing to the Kings or the Wolves. So that would be the best time to write a book because you know, I think one of the things with writing a book is you spend so much time doing it by yourself that you don't really get to share it. So when at least if I'm not writing articles that I, you know, I'd want to share with the Kings and the Wolves, I can kind of hammer the book out. And then, you know, by the time the book is submitted for the first draft, like we'll be a week into the season, which is the right time to gear down and, and hopefully get into smart kings writing.
0: Wow. I love it. I love it. Um, we'll definitely get into the book um, uh, later on. Just a, a few things right before. Um Obviously, you know your Twitter following is huge, and what's awesome. See, I love the on this Day that you put out every day. Um, love the the Semin bongos. That was unreal, classic, and uh, the Canada Soviet fight too in the World Juniors, which which was a cool story too. But would you consider your your Twitter like a reference page for TSN or Sportsnet? Like, would they come on and and, and kind of use some of the historic facts you, you've put on?
4: Um, I know that like, because I've been doing this probably now for like, I think seriously with the on this day stuff, like for at least the last five years. And I know that early on, there'd be times when like people would tell me like, hey, like your tweets on SportsCenter right now, or it's on SportsNet. Um, but I have definitely noticed that over the over the last few years, especially with like accounts like SportsNet stats, like they'll do their own on this day. Um, especially during the pandemic, I found that a lot of like outlets that, you know, previously didn't dabble with on this day were, were they were looking oh, for content, too, and they were doing on this day, right? Like, so even there was like NHL on NBC, um, like they were doing the big moments, um, you know, so it's I think you're seeing more and more now where people are recognizing that obviously those historical moments in time, you know, resonate with fans. Like a lot of people can remember, you know, the punch up in Pia and, you know, a lot of people remember. Alex Semen, you know, doing his best, uh, you know, to go after Mark Stahl. So, (laughs) like, there's those moments where, like, those tweets will go viral. It's not because, like, it's necessarily like a like a well constructed tweet on my part. It's because, like, people remember that, or it's like a really crazy, you know, moment in time. Like, I had one tweet before the holidays where, again, it's not like a well known thing, but the Islanders had this uh, this promotional night before the break where they said that anybody. This was back in 2003, by the way, and so. They had a promotion where anybody who showed up to Nassau Coliseum wearing a Santa Claus suit would get in for free. Um, You know, they expected there would be maybe a couple hundred Santas that showed up, but they were figured it was probably closer to 1,000. And so you've got all these, like, 1,000, you know, Santa Claus Islanders fans who are obviously probably drinking beer that night, you know, on the last game before the holiday break. They then have this idea to bring them all on the ice and do a Santa Claus parade, and they figured this only going to take a few minutes. But what they didn't count on was one of the Santa Clauses or a few of the Santa Clauses They rip open their jackets and they're wearing Rangers jerseys, and then all of a sudden, the Islanders' Santa start attacking the Rangers' Santas, trying to get them to rip off their jerseys. And so it ended up becoming this like big, you know, Santa brawl on the ice uh, during intermission. And you know that tweet is making the rounds. I think obviously Islanders fans would remember that more than you know fans like myself who are obviously Leafs fans. And maybe we'll get into that later. But (laughs) that's an example where like even if you're not an Islanders fan and you don't remember that happening, like that's a bizarre moment in hockey history. So. It's, it's probably going to get a few likes. And so I I, I I definitely think that over the last little while, you know, more and more people, whether it's individuals or, you know, organizations or platforms, are starting to realize that, you know, why not throw the odd hockey history or even history tweet in there because it's it's bound to resonate with somebody who, you know, remembered that happening or could remember hearing about it happening.
0: That's an unreal story. Um, I didn't even know that, but where else would it be better to have a, a fight like that than in uh, on the island in New York? Eh? Yeah. Unreal um and you you mentioned Leafs fan I mean you got Tommy Blouse over here probably the biggest Leafs fan I know um diehard loves him so we'll we'll definitely get into that I love that and I'll I'll send it over to Tom
1: this interview might take like two hours now if I, (laughs) I, I know that he I know that he's a Leafs fan um the question I have for you Mike is like when did you first uh get started in writing and like what made you pursue to be a historian and why
4: Yeah, so I was uh it was it was probably around the time that I was I was doing my PhD in McMaster. Um, and I was doing it on a completely different topic. I was researching and studying the history of black bear hunting and management in Ontario. (laughs) So like I was I was an environmental historian, like I did my master's at Laurentian, it was about forest fires, and then I go to McMaster and I start, you know, researching about bear hunting. And then, you know, I I, for whatever reason it kind of like it dawned on me that like all the skills that I was developing as a historian with the researching and the writing, like I could write about hockey. In the same way that I was writing about bears, I just never considered it before, which is bizarre because, like, as somebody who had studied history for most of my like, undergraduate and you know, like, graduate career, I was aware that things like sport history existed. I was aware that hockey history was a thing. I just never really put two and two together and thought that it was something that I could do. And so, um, you know, on the side, when I was going through my uh, like trying to put together my dissertation at McMaster, I just started doing my own thing on my website. I just you know registered a blog and started doing these these weird like mashups where I would find dates in Canadian history. So like on this day, you know, they passed uh, the, the fisheries act or something. And then in between kind of talking about why that was significant in Canadian history, I would do some previews about NHL games that were happening that night. So I would say that, you know, while we remember the fisheries act, I'm also going to kind of give you uh you know, so an overview of the Habs and the senators tonight and who I think is going to win the game and provide some analysis as to why. And it was just like really weird Frankenstein mashup where, you know, I don't think there was a lot of readership there. I liked doing it. It was fun for me, which I think was the main thing, was that it, it got me mm-hmm. excited about writing about hockey. Um, so I did that for a year steadily, which, again, is, I think, uh, you know, take takes some commitment to write for yourself, um, especially, you know, I wasn't writing for an audience necessarily. I mean, I thought maybe there'd be people reading it, but certainly if you were to pull up my WordPress stats, I, I think it would show that it was between my mom and maybe myself refreshing my page. There wasn't a lot of clicks on those stories, but it, it got me excited about hockey history And it got me excited about writing about hockey. And then I think from there, it just kind of evolved to I realized that, you know, realistically, I was trying to target two audiences at the same time. I was trying to appease like the history folks and then the hockey folks when really there was a whole other audience out there. Hockey history just on that side of things that that's who I should be going after. And so after like a few years of kind of making the rounds on the on the blogs, like I did some Kings blogging for a year where I was I wasn't doing Canadian history, but I was doing California history which again, credit to the Royal half for letting me do that for a year. Again, it was probably like a very niche audience, but they really kind of gave me a platform to like, I think get a little more comfortable with my writing, obviously like work on my writing improve it, but then really kind of made me realize that I love doing that, but I think the path forward was to really just kind of focus on one thing and not trying to make this like mashup that realistically was like my little, you know, brainchild that I like to do, but ultimately at the end of the day, you want to try to get as many eyeballs on your stories as you can. And that, I think, is what really set me up to say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on hockey history. And that's really kind of what I did, you know, for the next two or three years after that.
0: Question for you. Right before we get into hockey, you met, I was going to bring this up and try and surprise you at near the end. But you brought up the black bear, uh, obviously, what, what you were working with um, there. So my question to you is, I've had a little black bear in my backyard. And I want to know, do they – end up they love apples I got an apple tree in the back some old yeah. apples what's up with that do they do they just get a little bit of a buzz off it or what
4: yeah they well, I mean they'll eat like they prefer fruit or I mean sorry they'll prefer their real diet towards like garbage and anything like that right I mean we used to live at a house where we had two uh sour cherry trees at the front and you know for a few weeks in the summer like they were there like clockwork every night at 9 30 like they were there so like until they cleaned the tree out and then they were gone right so I think it certainly depends on like the years that we've been having, you know what, to be honest, like I'm in new Sudbury, and that's where we used to have those problems with the bears. But I think, you know, the last few years we've had a good berry crop in the bush. Um, not to say that people have been any better with their garbage. I still see my neighbors putting their trash out in the morning, which again, yeah, I understand we're not going to get into the politics of that, but <laughs> uh, you know, I think when the, when the, when the, when the food is optimal in the bush, they're not coming into the towns and they're not causing a problem, but yeah, it's uh, They'll, they'll, they'll pick everything clean and then they'll be gone. And then unless, unless obviously somebody leaves out a nice little treat for them in the morning, they'll come back.
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Did, uh, did you play hockey growing up, Mike?
4: No. So, I mean, uh, I played like on, my dad used to make like backyard rinks and stuff. And like, we used to have neighborhood rinks, but no, I never played like at an organized level. Like I always wanted to play. Um, you know, we moved around a lot as kids too. Uh, like I wasn't, uh, I didn't get to Sebrey until I was in grade 10. And I'd lived in five places before that. So, like, I joke around, you know, my mom jokes around that, like, she didn't let me play hockey because she thought it was too dangerous. Um, but uh, but I, I honestly think it was probably just because, like, we were never in one place too long. And so by the time we got settled, um, you know, I didn't get involved in that. I mean, soccer was one thing that I always did as a kid. So, like, I not at a very good level. Um, you know, but I did outdoor and indoor. But what I actually, like, I, I swam varsity for Laurentian. Like, that was the one sport that I did that I was actually good at. Uh, So like I swam competitively for for a good like 10, 12 years. Um, I actually play hockey now more than I did as a kid. Like I think the first time I put on full equipment, I was 30 years old. Like I just got married. I had a buddy who I'd lost, you know, lost contact with over the last couple of years. And he's like, do you want to play hockey this year? I'm like, I'm terrible, man. Like you want me to come play hockey with you? He's like, no, no, trust me. Like the guys that we play with aren't very good. You'll fit in perfectly. And and I, and I did, because there was a range of skill, like there was some good guys there. And there's some other guys who had, I think, picked it up later in life, too. And they just want to play hockey. So it's probably the best thing I've done is, is actually like, finally, you know, getting over my pride and realizing that obviously, I'm never going to be a good hockey player. Um, but I like to do it and it's fun. And so I've been going out with these guys like every second week, every Yeah, every second week uh, for the last six or seven years. Uh, and it's just been a blast, because ultimately, I think that's that's what drew me into hockey, you know, from the beginning as a kid was just loving to be on the ice, whether or not I was good or not, it didn't matter. I just thought it was the greatest sport. And that's why I wanted to know so much about it. And, you know, collecting hockey cards, learning about the history. And then I think, you know, later in life, realizing that I could write about it, I definitely feel a little more connected to it when I'm able to play it. Not that I obviously could give anybody any pointers or talk about, you know, you know, breakout uh, zone entries and things like that. But certainly, I, I feel like it makes me more invested in, in my writing, knowing that like, it's something that I'm passionate about and that I actually do.
0: I love that. That that's wicked. You mentioned that you lived uh, a few places before Sudbury. We, uh, we didn't end up picking that up, but where did you live before Sudbury?
4: So I was born in London, Ontario. Um, I lived there for six years. Then I went to, we went to Stratford for uh, like two and a half years, I think. Then I was in Mississauga for about a minute. Uh, I was there for half of, was Mississauga is there for half of grade three and all of grade four. And then I went to Thunder Bay for three years and then I was in Timmins for three years. And then I've been in Sudbury ever since. I mean, I had like a year where I lived in uh, Georgetown when I was going to McMaster, but otherwise like Sudbury is, is I would call Sudbury where I like my home. I've been here the longest out of any of those cities. Um, Had a cup of coffee and yeah, in Mississauga. So, I mean, it's definitely (laughs) Sudbury is home. You know, my, my wife's family is all from here. My daughters are both born here. So, I mean, this is home as as far
0: as I'm concerned. I love it. I love it. Just want to put that in there. Yeah, Tom.
1: We might have to change the intro now, Jim I put Born and Raising. Yeah, we'll have to do it. a fact <laughs>
0: check there. That's good. I can grill Tom for that.
1: No, no, Mason. All right, Ma- Ma- I didn't, mean to,
4: didn't mean to blow the intro. I think you can
1: <laughs> Ma- Mason Mason's a good editor. We can uh, we can see what we can do.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's get back into we'll talk about um, how you got started with the, the Kings. So you mentioned you're a Leafs fan, but you end up working and doing some writing for the Kings. How did that uh, work work out?
4: So, I, honestly, that probably goes back to when I was doing the blogging for the Royal Half, which is a, a Kings blog. And so they had a contest, um, like this would have been, I guess, in like 2015 where it was like the Royal Half's next top blogger, which obviously is a playoff, you know, America's next top model. And I had, I had tried out for the Leafs Nation blog. They had the same thing, the Leafs Nation next top blogger. And uh, I got an email from Steve Dangle saying like, you you know, you're not, you didn't make the cut, And, and, you know, at that time I hadn't really done a lot of hockey writing. So like, that's fair. Um, But, but I I thought more about it when the, when the opportunity came up for the Royal half. And I really kind of think of, I had a more, I think at that point, it was probably a year later. And obviously I had a little bit more of an idea in my mind of what I could do with the history stuff and the, the Pacific division previews, which is what I pitched them on was that I'll do moments in California history. Uh, and then I'll do like Pacific division previews, obviously focusing on the Kings, but obviously looking at all the other opponents that they play. So I did that for a year. I was writing like two or three times a month. And ultimately I think what it allowed me to do was like actually kind of meet some people who, you know, were, were a part of the Kings, you know, blogosphere, but also people who did have an affiliation with the Kings themselves. Um, and I had some guys who worked at Fox Sports West, uh, Jesse Cohen, who's the the host of all the Kings men podcast, which is the Kings official podcast. And so, you kind of have all these connections that you don't really think of at the time. And then, you know, a few years later, you know, Jesse has me on his podcast to talk about the 30th anniversary of Wayne Gretzky getting traded to LA. So we'd, we'd go through all that stuff. And then, you know, at the end of the podcast, we're talking about like, what do I want to do with, with my, like with, within hockey? And I told him a story about how, like when I was going through grad school, right as I was finishing, I emailed every NHL team and asked them, you know, do you have a team historian? Do you want a team historian? And, you know, a lot of the clubs got back to me and told me, like, no, we don't have one. No, we don't want one. Or, or yeah, we actually do have somebody who does kind of that role, so we're good. And I just kind of reiterated that to, to Jesse and, and kind of told him that story. And then I went on Twitter and I said the same thing just in a tweet saying, like, you know, I reached out to all these clubs. Like, no one ever got back to me. No one wants a hockey historian. And then the Kings, you know, who I wasn't following at the time and they weren't following me, I, for whatever reason, they found that tweet. And they said, you know, we never got an email from you. Which, again, is not true. I, I did email them, but I <laughs> uh, wasn't about to tell, tell them that. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, let me know when you want to chat. Like, happy to have a, ha- happy to have a meeting with you. And then we kind of took the conversation into the, the DMs, so to speak. And then I had, I had a chat with somebody there. And, and then, you know, a few months later, I was writing for the Kings. And that's really what kind of started it. So, I mean, I've done some presentations to SPAG classes before about how, like, obviously, that Twitter exchange – you know led to I think that initial meeting with with Michael where I got like to talk about what he was kind of envisioning for me and, and what he wanted me to do but I think it does go back to like my affiliation with the Royal Half for that year and kind of meeting some of those folks because otherwise I probably wouldn't have had the opportunities I had you know to be on the show with Jesse and we kind of ended up doing like a recurring segment with this week in Kings history so like again I that was because I'd met Jesse all those years back doing the Royal Half stuff so I mean. It's one part Twitter, one part like grinding it out in the Royal Half for a year, getting paid in t shirts, but it was something that I, I liked to do. And, uh, you know, it was fun and it certainly, I think, opened the door for me with a couple of places.
0: Wow. What what a story. So, so <laughs> yeah, gone. go ahead, Tom. Go ahead.
1: No, I, I need to ask him about Steve Dangle. So, Mike, yeah. you mentioned Steve Dangle and how he, he sort of blew like, sort of just told you to, I'm not going to say kick rocks, but told you to go away type of thing is the plan maybe to work for the lease eventually because like you said, you're a big lease fan and has he maybe been in contact with you since?
4: I should, I should say that he was very polite. It wasn't because uh, <laughs> <it
1: wasn't laughs> the way I
4: message, but he, he was the one cause he was with the, he was with the blog at the time. So he was the one who had to, I think deliver the message to the unsuccessful contestants that uh, you're not moving on to the next round. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, obviously like I think my dream if I had a dream would be obviously to work for the team that like I grew up rooting for. I mean, I think that would be the best of both worlds if I was actually able to kind of cover or at least write about, you know, a team that I grew up watching. Um, But that being said, like I I do have kind of like, I mean, I think as you guys are a little bit younger than I am, obviously. So like I grew up, you know, watching hockey in the nineties where like Wayne Gretzky going to LA was like a big deal. Right. So like whether or not I was an Oilers fan or I was actually a Leafs fan, like, him being in L.A. was a big deal at the time. And, like, you know, especially when the Kings unveiled those, like, the Chevy logo with the black and white jersey. Right. Like, those were sick no matter, like, which team you cheered for. So, like, by that alone, like, L.A. was always, like, kind of the cool team because now they got the cool jerseys. They've got Gretzky. Um, they're out in L.A., which is obviously a cool factor. Um, you know, and then, like, my own personal connection, like, my dad grew up in Lavac, which is, like, a small mining town, just, like, 40 minutes yep. from and Dave Taylor, you know, who was one of the best players in Kings history, like he grew up in Levesque as well, went to the high school with my dad. So, like, when I was a kid, like, it was a big deal that Dave Taylor played for the Kings. Like, I had his hockey card and I met him when I was, like, you know, like, I think six or seven years old. So, like, you know, as much as I talk about Wayne Gretzky being on the Kings, like, it was just as much of a big deal that Dave Taylor played for the Kings. So, like, I have, like, I think these kind of little connections to L.A. where, like, it still is kind of cool for me to be able to write for that team that as a youngster i grew up like with an eye on even though they weren't my team but certainly like if there ever was an opportunity to to do some more stuff for the leafs like that would be you know obviously a match made in heaven for me
0: yeah yeah, for sure, and I think that's where Tom wants to go. He wants to hit up Dubas, maybe be a GM there one day, Tom. Um, yeah, but maybe me and maybe me and Mike can start our own podcast about the
1: Leafs. Only. <laughs> I
4: had uh, I, I sent uh, I sent Kyle Dubis a copy of my book when it came out, not to him like personally, but I got the Leafs to give me like whatever mailing address one would send Kyle Dubas' mail to. So it's unclear as to whether or not it made it to him and whether or not. It's on <laughs> yeah. it. Every time he was doing, like, Zoom interviews, I'd be like, is it, is it there? It's, it's never there. Um, <laughs> I, I, shot, I shot my shot with Dubas, though, one time because, like, he's from the Sioux, and my, my right. grandfather was from the Sioux, and he was a pretty good hockey player. And so my grandfather played hockey with Kyle Dubas' dad. And my uncle, you know, has all these old newspaper clippings of my uncle, or my gr- grandfather lighting it up in Sault Ste. Marie and playing on a line with Walter Dubis and all this stuff. And so, like, I sent Kyle, like, these screens, or these pictures of the articles, like, thinking, like, I'm in. I've Like, we've got the family connection. Yes. It never went anywhere, so maybe I'll have to, like, revisit that in the future.
0: I love it. Next thing, you just got to show up on his doorstep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, being a historian and and working with the Kings, did you ever get to do anything with Marcel Dion? I know he has uh, his spot there in St. Catharines. I'm not sure if you ever visited there
4: oh yeah like his memorabilia store
0: yeah it's unreal
4: yeah Yeah. no i've heard a lot of great things about it funny enough like i've never um like i actually interviewed marcel when i was doing um my stuff with the royal half when we uh i did this one thing where it was like marcel madness for the month of march right highlighted like all of the things that he had a lot of milestones in march for whatever reason like that was a Mm -hmm. big month for him where he was like I I, i forget off the top of my head so i won't like say them because they're probably inaccurate but like you know, point milestones, goal milestones, assists, like maybe a couple trades, like things like that, where it was a big month for him. So I interviewed him then and like we had a good chat, um, talked about some stuff there. But he does have kind of, I think, an, an interesting, you know, relationship with the Kings right now where he's kind of, you know, he's in and he's out. Um, I've, I've tried to interview him a couple times. It didn't work out. I think, you know, one of the things for him is he's seen, I think, how, um, you know, Buffalo's honored the French Connection line by retiring like all three of their jerseys like okay. as a unit. I mean, you know, obviously Dion has his jersey retired by the Kings, but I think, you know, one of the things that he would like to see in the future is, is the, is the triple crown line honored in some way other than, you know, what they've done so far. So, you know, so it's it's kind of one of those things where I think in the role as the historian, like, you know, with the team, whether or not it's with the Wolves or with the Kings is like part of the, I think part of the role that you're doing is kind of like being the, you know, like you're working with a lot of the alumni, whether or not you realize you're interviewing them for a story, but ultimately like, you might be the first point of contact they've had with the organization for a little while. Right. Like I talked to guys who maybe aren't maybe the brightest stars that have, you know, have gone through those teams, but like, they're still part of that club's history. So I've reached out to them to do stories. And, and oftentimes I think as part of my role, like you've got to make sure that when you're having these chats with these guys that like, you know, you're like, this is the next thing that they might remember when the team reaches out to them that like that Mike guy called me last month and, you know, He wasn't nice to me or he didn't really, he wasn't really a professional interview. So, like, I think that's a a big deal to me when I get these interviews, whether it's with the Wolves or with the Kings, is that you're often the ambassador to the club. And I think it's important to, you know, you frame your story the way you want to frame it. But ultimately, as part of the history and celebrating the club's past, like, you've got to be mindful of the the guys and the people you're talking to uh, and keeping that top of mind
0: yeah i actually ended up going into that memorabilia shop uh, i was there for a hockey tournament this was back i want to say 2013 14 just when the kings won um and i remember he, he's such a he's a he's an upbeat guy and he, yeah. he's not afraid to tell you that he was a good hockey player and uh and he was showing uh showing off his ring that the king sent him from uh, from there and I'll, I'll send you a pic with him too was, uh it was uh it was pretty cool to see. No no one really know. like he kinda of fell under the radar. Like he he was a superstar. Yeah. but not many people like our age know, know about Marcel Dion, right?
4: Yeah, no, he was he was definitely a superstar for sure. And I think, you know, like he was obviously had a lot of great years in Detroit before he even got to LA. Right. Really get like superstar status there. But I think at that time too, before Really, before you get Gretzky coming over there in the late '80s, like LA is definitely an under the radar team, right? So, yeah. like, not seeing a lot of. I think you know, I think I think he's well celebrated in hockey history in terms of what he did, especially on a lot of those bad Kings teams. But, but for the most part, you know, I you know, I think he uh, he definitely is kind of one one of the underrated superstars in the game for sure.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we go from past to present. What do you think of Quentin Byfield?
4: I mean, I've been a big Quentin Byfield fan, like, since his first game with the Wolves. Um, obviously, for me, you know, joining, like, his, his rookie season was the same year that I first started my, like, rookie season, let's say, with the Wolves, right? Like, I started uh, May of 2018. His first game was September of 2018. So, like, I've had the, like, I think as much as my story's, you know, focused on the Wolves' past, but then I think in the last couple of years with the Wolves and even with the Kings – Like, I haven't always just done history. Like, I'll occasionally have done stories with current players or current, like, prospects um, or or obviously players with the Wolves. And so, I mean, I've always kind of kept an eye on, like, his development and, you know, I had a chance to see quite a few games over the last two years. So, I mean, to see him, you know, that first year was electric because, like, Sudbury's had a lot of great teams over the years and they've had a lot of skillful players come through. But, like, to my mind, like, at least in my recent memory, like, there hasn't been a player, like, as dynamic and as talented as him. And so, like to have that in that first year, and then also to have a goaltender like Uko Pekalukin, who like you could argue is like the best player to come through that team, especially the best goaltender. Yep. Like I remember thinking, like it's too bad that you, you like the the second season that Byfield had before it was interrupted. Like he had made huge like improvements in his game. Like he had taken it to another level, right? So if we could have had a year with Byfield in a second season with with Uko in back. Like, they were just – they were so much better the second year, like, in his second year. But, obviously, goaltending proved to be, you know, kind of a weakness for them. Um, yeah, like, he's he, – he, I obviously, I think I've been no, – if you've been following my Twitter account, like, it's I'm pretty much, like, uh, an unabashed Quentin Byfield fan. And, obviously, I think for me, <laughs> the fact that he got drafted by the Kings is something that I've been thinking about for a few years. I think when I first started writing for the Wolves and the Kings at the same time, you know, when the season begins, you don't really think about it. But then as, like, the chatter starts to ramp up about, like, where is Byfield going to go in two years? You're like, you know, if he goes top five, like, you know, the Kings are in the middle of a rebuild. Like, it's definitely well within the possibility that they're going to finish at the bottom of the standings. And then all of a sudden, like, the, the little ping pong balls go the right way. And it's like, holy shit, like, the Kings have the number two pick. Like,
2: right.
4: I, I always said that Byfield was going to go number two. I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me if he went number one. I was in that camp of people who said that, like, you could argue that, you know, Fred is a better player right now, but I think over time, Agreed. Byfield has the skill sets, I think, to become the better overall player in the future. So, like, I would have, you know, if he went to the Rangers, let's say, obviously, that would have, you know, crushed me professionally to not be able to kind of cover him for the Kings, but it would have been, uh, you know, as, as somebody who I supported here in Sudbury, to see him go right. wherever he's going to go and succeed. Like, that's, at the end of the day, that's my prerogative. It doesn't matter how many Quentin Byfield stories I write. Um, I'd love to be able to write them as a, as a Kings prospect, but ultimately I just want to see him succeed and do well in the NHL and and silence a lot of the critics that I think he undeservedly has at this stage of his career. Like he's only 18 years old, like he's only going to get better. Um, but, but there's still, I think people who like to, you know, from the peanut gallery talk about how he's, he's not performing to their expectations in a, you know, a six game tournament. I, I don't have time for that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. They were all over him last year, and they were all over him yeah. this year for no reason. If they came and watched what he did in, in Sudbury, they'd understand. And I think uh, he, he still got to grow, which is a scary thing. Like, he's not his ceiling is so high, which I think, you know, like you said, Lafreniere's ceilings here, Byfield's is, is a couple steps up, I believe, anyways. Um, but let's talk about the Sudbury Wolves. What's – what's it like being a historian for them? What, what have you been doing? Like, um, and just t- talk about like what, what it's all about being a historian for them.
4: Yeah. So when I started with them, it was, uh, it was kind of a lot of the same stuff that I was like, that I've been doing with the Kings as well, where I would like, I would try to find, well, I guess with the Kings, like there's a lot more history that you can kind of talk about in terms of like on this day, like this goal happened and it's a meaningful goal for whatever reason in this person's career. But what I try to do with the wolves, because, the history for the OHL obviously isn't as readily available as the NHL. So I don't necessarily have like a a spreadsheet of like all these key dates in Wolves history, but I know who a lot of the key Wolves players are um, or even not even necessarily key players, but guys who have played, you know, roles on the team throughout the years. And like, I think my, my job as a historian was to kind of find those players and find those stories and write about them in a way to celebrate the club's history, I think as a way to kind of bridge the gap between fans. I mean, if you think about, you know, the era that we would have grown up in again, very different areas. Like, again, I keep, you know, like I'm, I'm much older than you guys, but like we grew up in the watching the Wolves with the blue jerseys. But before that, before the Burgess ownership era, like the Wolves wore green. So like my father-in-law who, you know, grew up in Sudbury would have watched the Wolves like in their heyday, you know, in the seventies. And then in the eighties when they switched over to the to the blue jerseys. So I think for me, it's trying to find a reason to make people like your age or younger care about why Rod shut Was an underrated goal scorer. You know, he scored 72 goals in a season, but, like, why don't we talk about Rod Rod Shutt as much? Like, why did it take until, you know, 2019 to retire Rod Shutt's number? Um, Why doesn't Jeannie Rivers have his jersey retired? I mean, things like that Where like, I think that's my job as a historian is to kind of cover these stories in a way that I think highlights these players but then also gives the fans a reason to care about them. Because, again, you you don't necessarily are invested in the teams of the past, but I think if you're a fan of the team, if those stories are told in a way that resonates with you – you know, you'll pick up on that, and maybe that kind of informs how you watch those next games, or or, or or what happens to you when you when you when you tune into the Wolf. And so I think, you know, I think more than more than anything else, like at the OHL level, it's a little bit different because you've got guys that are cycling through; they're not here very long, right? Right. Like, exactly. You look at like Byfield; like two years, he's gonna be gone now. Or like your guy like Uko Pekalukin in one yeah. year and done. Yeah. Um, but like, and then you've got other guys like that who don't go on to become like you know, professional hockey players or hopefully potentially like superstar players. Like they go on to become, you know, investment bankers or real estate agents or doctors or lawyers. And so I think that the OHL level, you've got a unique opportunity to kind of highlight those guys who may have played like significant roles on like big, deep runs, but ultimately don't go on to have like a, you know, a career in hockey. They go on to have, you know, their their lives. And I think it's still important to highlight what they've done since then because they might have scored, you know, a big goal in that 2007 playoff run but like, what are they up to now? And I think it's important to kind of keep them in the alumni family, and they've got a lot of fans with them as well. Right? Again, they may not be household names now, but people remember, you know, people like Sean Benadam, or they remember, yeah. you know, the, the guys that came through in that 2007 run that played big roles, but we right. know, they're not in the NHL right now. But they, they, and they need to be highlighted.
0: I love that, man! I, huge Wolves fan here. I think <laughs> we are all here, and I'm, I'm a huge retro guy. Anything retro, like I was a kid that rolled into hockey wearing like an Atlanta Flames hat or, or a <laughs> California Golden Seals. Like that's uh, – and, again, love the green jerseys as well from the Wolves. That was my favorite. Tom, you got a question? Yeah. Mike, what would you
1: say your favorite era of the Sudbury Wolves is then?
4: Well, I mean, for me, like, obviously as a historian, like it's uh, it's always better to kind of cover the – I think the the successful eras. Um, yeah. I like the 70s when you had like Felino, Duguay, Carlisle – shut like that was good because that was the farthest they'd ever gone you know and that I think it was that 76 run and then obviously in 2007 you know that the farthest they've been since then right going all the way to the OHL final um but I mean for me as a fan like I remember like again as as somebody who didn't grow up in Sudbury like as a kid like I didn't get to watch the Wolves when I was younger but I moved to Sudbury in 2000 uh no sorry not 2003 it would have been uh in, in 2000 and so they have that run in 2007. And, and by that point, like I'm obviously of drinking age. So like, and this is like in the heyday before you know, they've changed the rules of the arena. Like I remember my buddies and I would go to the rink and like you couldn't get seats. Like it was standing room only <laughs> and like you were like three, four rows deep around like the upper bowl. So like you would go there like and to this day, it's still the most electric like experience I've ever had as at a sporting event is like, how loud that building was and how you could feel the vibrations when the wolf skated out through that wolf head on the ice and the fans oh, yeah. nuts. And like, you could feel like your hands on the railing, like the vibration. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just like a magical run. Cause like, I, I still remember things where, like when the predators went through their playoff for their, their, their run of the Stanley cup, I think in, in 2017 was that year yeah. um, or either 2017 or 16. I can't remember right now, but they did the thing where they were like, they were smashing cars with sledgehammers like, it like Smashville, right? And I remember thinking, like, somebody did that like ten years ago, because <laughs> they were playing the Plymouth Whalers in the in the final. Right. And I remember they had like they had an old Plymouth parked in the park I remember that the Boston arena, and I think it was like if you gave like like a, a couple bucks or five bucks, like Can you could it? smash the car. Yeah, and we definitely you know spent a few bucks before the game smashing <laughs> this car. <with> the <laughs> Um, I, I think for whatever reason they probably stopped doing that because I think they realized there was like a bunch of guys like us who were like run to the town, run to uh, run to the doghouse, grab beers, go back to the rink, you know, yes, go back and forth, and like you know by the end of the game, like you, I might have been there for some pretty historic games, but like I couldn't tell you how they ended. <laughs> but like just from a fan perspective, it was a fun time, and like you saw how much the town rallied around them, and like oh yeah, really well, and I think underperformed as well as as much as like. I think they were a better team than their their record on paper suggested, but like no one went into the playoffs thinking that like these guys were going to go all the way to the to the O h l final, but they did because I think their record was kind of they were sneaky better than they were right they went into the yes. seventh seed, but they kind of they rolled for a couple of those teams they had a, a few like good battles at belleville but but yeah. otherwise it was it was a good team to watch and a lot of fun,
3: yeah.
0: Unreal. And you mentioned the old barn. You mentioned old barn buzzing. And obviously with the rink situation going on here, what are your thoughts that it looks like they're going to end up moving to the Kingsway?
4: Yeah. It seems like it's going to happen now, at least in terms of like those, I think those last few hurdles are happening. My my position on that rink has always been as long as they bring that stuffed wolf with them, that's, that's all that matters to me. It's yes. like there's no other, there's no other arena experience that you can have is seeing that taxidermic wolf <laughs> across the wire and, and I love how, like, I think, you know, under the new ownership group, it goes even farther than it did before. Like I know for sure that it used to just kind of hover just around like over the ice, but like, I know that in the last couple of years, like that thing goes all the way to the other team's bench now. Like oh yeah, probably a time where they, I'm pretty sure that they scaled it back and it didn't go all that all that way over, but like it goes all the way over now. <laughs> so, like, I don't know what that mangy thing's going to look like in like a state of the art rink. Um, <laughs> but they've got to bring it like that's one of the things that i think no matter how old you are or if you're a fan or not like the look on your face when you go to that barn and you see that thing come across for the first time you're like where am i what's going on no kidding Uh, yeah it's such a savory thing and like it's 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 hilarious.
0: i love it i love it that's a great take moving along to uh the
1: book mike um so in 2018 you create this book called hockey 365 so tell us all about uh, what made you get into this and a little bit about the book?
4: Yeah, so I was, um, it was right around the time. Like I finished, uh, I finished grad school, so I got my PhD and I was actually, I had a book contract to do, to take my dissertation and write about it. Like, uh, for an academic audience for university, of British Columbia press. And like, I, I was honestly just struggling with like going from having to edit my dissertation that I just spent the last like four years on to now redo it basically for a book. And like, I tried and tried and tried for like weeks and weeks to get into it. And I just couldn't get into it. And then eventually, like, I kind of put it in a drawer for a bit. Um, and then it was like, I went on vacation, you know, the, the year that my daughter was born, we went to Mexico. So this was 2017. And I'm sitting on a beach and I'm reading Val James's book. And Val James was the first, you know, black player from the United States to play in the NHL. And I'm like, you know, reading a story and thinking about like, I'm like, this is the kind of stuff I want to write about. I want to write about hockey. I don't want to write about bears. Like, I want to write about hockey because I've been writing about it like off and on over the last couple of years, like in a different way. And I got back from vacation. I made a plan to like write this book, kind of taking some of the stories I've done for Vice and Sportsnet and and put it together in like a, you know, like kind of a calendar format because that's what had been working for me so well on Twitter was like these daily moments. I'm like, maybe there's a way to take, you know, these daily moments and turn it into a book. Um, kind of like a word of the day calendar, but on, on steroids. And so I get home from Mexico. I tell U, UBC Press that, like, hey, I thank, thank you for the offer, but, like, I'm not going to finish this book. So I I bail out of that contract, which is fine because they weren't paying me anyways. It's not as if, like, I had to give them anything back. <laughs> um, and, I, and then I go about, like, trying to find, uh, trying to figure out, like, how am I going to bring this idea to life? And so I end up getting an agent. Tested
0: free and, agency you know, market.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm undrafted free agent. Get get, uh, get an agent to try to get signed somewhere. Um, He ends up getting me a deal with Dundurn Press, which is an independent, uh, you know, publisher in Toronto. And then, you know, we started the process in 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 August of 2017. I signed the contract. Um, You know, the book is due January 2018, which was a crazy whirlwind process because I really had like six months to write and research. You know, 365 pages worth of stuff, and then the book comes out in October. So. It's uh, and that's where I'm at right now. I'm uh, I'm working on the second Hockey 365. It'll be out in September of 2021. Uh, the book is due in you know 15 days from now, and I've got 38 pages left. So the end is in sight. Um, and then we'll start the process of editing that, getting that ready, and then it'll be out for publication the, uh, the, this September.
0: I love it. So obviously, I, I haven't read the book yet. We're all buying copies, that's a fact. Sure. Um, just talk to us like. Is it just little stories that, that's happened in in each page kind of kind of deal for the book?
4: Yeah, so it's it's 365. Or sorry, I should say it's 366 because I did I do I did a different an extra story for leap year. So, but hockey 366 doesn't have the same ring. So it's it's hockey 365, <laughs> 366 stories. And so there's one story for every day of the year, and each story is a page long. So like they're very short little stories they are about like 350 words each. In the first book, like some of them were a little bit shorter, um, you know, some were like 250 words, and then the, the longest ones were 350. And what I did was basically take, you know, the moments that I do on Twitter and just kind of expanded on those. So, um, you know, I'm trying to think of what, you know, what happened in hockey history today, and what's in the first book. But um, you know, today is what you're, you, we're we're all talking today, January 5th. Um, you know, so the day that I included in the first book was, I believe. Um it was, it's when the United, when the Blackhawks played the Rangers, which was the first game to be aired um, you know, on a United States network, uh, which was CBS at the time. So like that was the that was in the first book. What I've tried to do with this book was i obviously have to do different stories. I can't do the same stories over again. I have to do 366 new ones, but I've tried to pick, I think, some of the more obscure, ridiculous, like over the top stories, because I think those are funnier and yes. hopefully you'll get a kick out of those um but today i think the story i did was like the blues hiring joe Quinville in 1997 so you'll have a story today about like you know Quinville getting hired yesterday you know the story that will be in the new book is the punch-up uh you know at the juniors so like you'll have the story about them you know getting the brawl on the ice and trying to turn the lights off which again like that's not going to help um and you know the canadians getting kicked out of the tournament when they obviously should have won the gold medal yeah so it's it's one of those fun things where you've got all these different stories. Some of them do connect because you're dealing with sometimes the same players or same teams, but, uh, but they are for their, you know, for the purposes of the book, like their own stories that are self-contained and you can read one page and then the next page will have nothing to do with that previous page. So they're all like kind of their own. I like that.
0: I like that a page a day, right up Tom's alley. (laughs) (laughs) It's still Um, taking him an an hour to read it, but it's all good.
1: Yeah. Hey, do you have do you have an audio book yet, Mike? (laughs)
4: Yeah. Like I had, uh, I, I had joked about that with the first one, but like, I, I think it's, uh, I think if I, I understand that they take a long time to do, like, it's a, it's a really tiny okay. process. So like, I think if Dundurn was willing to like, to do that, I I would do it for sure. I don't know if people would want to hear my voice, but like, we, like people joke that I should get somebody who's like a, a well-known hockey fan to do it. Um, certainly I think they could probably tell the story better than I could, but, uh, that'd be another way to kind of do the book as well. Right. I think that's going to be kind of like a really, like really short podcast, but like kind of stitched together.
1: Yeah. Don't, uh, don't get Paul Bissonnette to do that. I <laughs> heard he can't read very well. <laughs> yeah,
4: it would be a long, long audio book.
1: Um, Mike, from what I was noticing from the research that I did on your book is that a lot of well-known people in the sports industry have commented and done really nice reviews about your book. So one little quote that I found about from James Duffy who works for TSN, obviously he says from all of us who live er hockey every single day of the year, hockey 365 is perfect. A great mix of history and storytelling that will only fuel your passion for the game. So what is it like to get acknowledged from like those individuals like Duffy?
4: It was, it was actually like pretty insane because truth be told, like you spend, you know, However long we spent, like, well, like I could tell you now I shouldn't like talk in like, intangibles, but like six months writing the book and then like four months, like editing it, like polishing it up. Nobody else, like other than myself, like maybe my wife, my mom, like have seen snippets of the book uh, other than the editing team. Right. So like it's really like a like a like a nerve wracking experience when like it's now time for you to try to go get endorsements for the book and you're sending it to, like, big people that you've followed or admired, like Bob McKenzie, James Duffy, like, Greg Wyshynski, and, and like, you're like, God, like, I this is the first time that somebody else outside of the inner circle has seen the book. A, are they going to like it? Are they going to think it's, like, a piece of crap? Like, you, you want them to endorse it, but at the end of the day, like, they may get back to you and be like, I can't endorse this because, like, what you've written here is, like, is awful and, like, no one should read this. And thankfully, nobody said that, and, like, it was actually, like, Like getting some of those responses from, you know, guys like Duffy and like McKenzie, I think was the biggest one for me where it was like, wow, like, I mean, I think the fact that they would even take the time to a like, because I don't know these guys like personally, like I've, I've talked to like a few of them over the years here and there. But it's not as if like, I've got like James Duffy on speed dial and like him and I are chatting every once in a while. So like for them to take the time out of their lives, um, you know, especially in the offseason when they're not really like, that's when they're kind of unwinding actually like go through the book to the extent that they feel comfortable offering up an endorsement that means a lot too i think just on that note right the fact that they're willing to take the time and, and look over your work and then to have them sign off on it and say like hey like this is a good book like you should pick it up like that that means a lot so, so that's true. always like the most like uh you know like nerve-wracking process for sure is it and it will be again the same time even though i've written the book before but like to reach out to those people again and say like will you consider reading this and signing off again?" Like. You never know how they will feel about the second volume, but hopefully the response is the same, and we get some more uh, you know nice little uh, snippets that we can put on on the Amazon.ca page. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> absolutely. What's your favorite story from the book?
4: Um, to be honest, like I, I get that question a lot, and I always say, like for me, uh, it always goes back to, to you know I did the story about Austin Matthews' four goal debut. Obviously, like, as a Leafs fan. Um, I'm going to talk about that. And then uh, every time I bring that up, I always have a Senator's fan telling me like, well, you know, they lost, like, I'm aware that they lost, the game. Oh. <laughs> they lost the game. Let me, let me have this historical moment here. Um, but like, for me, I wrote about that story because like, that was the first time my daughter Zoe and I like, like watched a game together. Obviously she didn't watch the game cause she was two weeks old, but like she had Maple Leafs pajamas on. Um, we were watching the game like Austin Matthews is doing his thing my wife's watching the game and she's like is this normal it's like no this is insane that he's doing this (laughs) and it was just like I remember it was like the most electrifying debut I've seen as a Leafs fan and the fact that I'm watching with my daughter was was pretty special to me so like I included that part of the story in the book Um, so like there's a personal connection for me which is why I think I go back to that but there's there's a ton of stories in that first book that like I think I learned about them like through the researching process that you know, were really cool to me. I think that in this book, you'll find that if you pick up the second volume, that there's a lot more stories where I tie my own personal experience in. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what hockey history is about. That like, you might read a story about Austin Matthews and it might remind you of a time where maybe you were watching with your friends or you're at your home with your parents or whatever you're doing. And that takes you back to that moment in your life. And so I've tried to do it in a way that it's obviously like people don't want to read about like my thoughts in every single moment that's happened. But I think that if I have a story that's interesting and unique, I've tried to insert myself into the narrative to try to like say that, you know, I, I think back to another one for this upcoming book where like uh the golden gold at the, at the 2010 Olympics. Like I was working at the travel lodge at the time and we were all watching the game over at my buddy's house. And I think it was like a it must have been like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. It was, I know it wasn't at night because it was in the middle of the day. And like some of my buddies are drinking because like they're 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 able to, and it's like, why not? Like it's a gold medal game. But I had to go have a shift at the travel lodge. And so, like, I'm sitting in my buddy's basement, like, wearing, like, those, you know, hotel, like, vests and this shirt and tie, like, ridiculous outfit. I've got to go to my shift. And, like, overtime starts. I'm, like, I'm not going to work. Like, I'll stay until this game is over. Like, I don't right. care what happens. So, like, I stroll into work, like, probably, like, an hour late. My boss is, like, where were you? And I'm, like, the gold medal game was on. Like, I wasn't leaving overtime. He's, like, that's fair. Oh, and so, for sure. And then I just remember that day, like checking guests in, like who had been traveling that day. And they're like, who won the game? And it's like Canada won, and, like high-fiving guests as you give them their hotel key. So like things like that, where you're like, that to me is cool. Hopefully other people agree. But like, I've tried to do more things like that in the book.
1: Love it. Love it. Yeah, that is so cool. And anything that anybody says about Austin Matthews, I just love because everybody <laughs> knows that and I'm a huge fan. And no to way. see him to see him with a line on starting day with Jumble Joe, I can't wait for yeah. that. So cool.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, your current position now with Cambrian college for as a director of applied research, like what does a typical day look for you, Mike? And how do you balance that along with like balancing your family and obviously still being a writer for the Kings?
4: Yeah. So, I mean, when I was like, I would use the example of like pre before the pandemic because just because I haven't done a lot of stuff with the Kings lately, but I mean, you know, typically um, you know, day for me is like, I've got, you know, six people that work for our department. So like, it's kind of a lot of, you know, managing the folks that you have, Working with industry partners, like the line of work that we do is we work with industry partners and companies in Sudbury that want to do R&D. So they come to Cambrian to work with our faculty, our students and our equipment. So we try to set them up on projects. So like that, my big part of my job is like bringing those projects into Cambrian, overseeing those projects, making sure that, you know, we have the resources and the, you know, the, the capacity to do those projects. So like a typical day for me is, is usually a lot of meetings. Um, if I'm in the if I'm on campus, like we're, we're in the shop we're like, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. Um. So I, I try to balance, obviously, like keep my king stuff separate from my work stuff where I would like go home at night and, you know, I would write the stories at night before bed. If I had to introduce somebody, like I would try to do it on my lunch hour or if I couldn't do it during the day, I would obviously do it at night. And that wasn't a big deal because it was my own time. And I would just like put the stories together on my own and then kind of put them out. So I was always pretty careful to try not to like have the two two worlds collide.
1: Cool, cool, yeah. You mentioned uh, from us texting that you had a Wayne Gretzky score. I don't know if you want to throw it in here now, if you have a uh, few, uh, few minutes here. To,
4: yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's actually probably a good story to talk about, like balancing work life because, I mean – Exactly. Um, you know, like, like I said, I try to keep the two things separate. And so this was uh, – this would have been in, like, this is my first year with the Kings. So, like, this was 2019, and it was, like, the 25th anniversary of Wayne Gretzky passing Gordie Howe for the all-time goal scoring record. So I, I told the Kings, I'm like, we should do an interview with Wayne. Or I, I probably didn't call him Wayne. I probably called him Mr. Gratzky. <laughs> the great, great one. The 25th, yeah, the great one for the 25th anniversary. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, the anniversary, you should cover that. But, like, don't think you're going to get an interview with Wayne. Like, he doesn't do a lot of interviews these days. So, like, we can put in a request with the Oilers. But, like, don't necessarily think that it's going to happen. And, and, and truthfully, I knew that because, like, I tried to interview him before for other stories with Vice and for my book. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, let's just try. If not, like I can certainly write a story about, you know, him scoring the goals record. Um, but what ends up happening is we get an email back from the, from the Oilers and they're like, he'll call Mike tomorrow. And we're like, what do you mean? It's like, what time? Like who's calling Mike tomorrow? Like Wayne Gretzky's calling Mike tomorrow. So like, I'm excited, but I'm also like panicking because like, I have to work the next day. And it's like, what if I'm in a meeting? Like, when is he going to call me? And of course, like we try not to like, they we ask them, like, do you have an idea? And of course, like, they don't get back to us. so It's just kind of like, I've got my phone set on like loud mode all day so I can get this call. But at the same time, like the Kings are telling me, like, as soon as Wayne calls you, like, you have to like loop us into the call because, you know, he's obviously like they like high priority alumni. Yeah. So they want to be on the call to make sure that like they're a part of the conversation in case like not that anything bad would happen, but like to make him feel like he's part of the alumni family. So I'm like, okay, no problem. My daughter's sick at home the next day. She's not in daycare. So I'm like, okay, this is not starting off well. Like she's throwing up like Wayne Gretzky's going to call me. I'm going to be like in the bathroom <laughs> with her trying to do an interview with the gray one while my daughter's getting sick. So the morning goes by, no phone call. My father-in-law comes over to watch my my daughter. I go to work and it's a work lunch meeting. And so I've never met with this client before. We're at the Apollo. Have my phone on loud, like on the table. And of course, like the client I'm meeting with doesn't know that I write about hockey and I'm not Right. Ready. Because, like, it's a long story to talk about, like, well, you work for Cameron. Like, how do you, like, what are you talking about? You write for the Kings. So I'm like, please don't call me at lunch. And so, like, we get through the whole lunch, eat our meals. Like, we're finally, like, rounding out to have the, get the check. And then my phone rings. And, like, I look at my phone and it's like, obviously it doesn't say Wayne Gretzky because he's never called me before. But it says, <laughs> that it, it says, I know it's a California number. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what am I going to do? It's like, I'm like, I could run into the bathroom of the Apollo because I had my tape recorder with me. And then I could like sit in the bathroom for 15 minutes and like try to interview him from a bathroom stall, which is probably not a good idea. And then come back and I've got to explain to like the client, like, why was I in the bathroom for 15 minutes after lunch? It's either going to be like an embarrassing story where I had to go um, or I, I come clean and say like, hey, I just interviewed Wayne Gretzky from the toilet. So like, you know. <laughs> and it'd be like, what are you talking about interviewing Wayne Gretzky? So. In that moment, I like, I like, I look at the client, I look at my phone, I just like put my phone back in my pocket and let it go to voicemail. And so like, I'm just like a zombie for the rest of the lunch, like the checks coming. I'm just like, I got to get in my car, got to get in my car, um, go back in my van, like immediately call him from the parking lot. No answer. I'm like, oh, I blew it. I blew it. The Kings are going to fire me like <laughs> this, is, this is a disaster. So, I, like, I hightail it back to Cambrian. I sent him a text message, like, blaming my daughter, being like, oh, I'm sorry, like, my daughter's been sick all day. Like, I wasn't able to get to the phone, hoping that, like, as a as a fellow dad, he'll be like, oh, it's a girl call me back. Um, so, like, I'm at work stressing that I blew my chance with the great one. And, and sure, sure, sure enough, like, he calls me back because he is the great one. He's a pretty gracious guy. And, like, we had the phone call that we were supposed to have. I was able to bring the Kings in. Um, it went off without a hitch, got all like, – a lot of great quotes that I think, you know, nobody else really covered that story for the anniversary. So like, um, you know, I think that was great. It was obviously a career highlight for me to talk to somebody like Wayne Gretzky, who I grew up idolizing. Um, but it was one of those things where like that was the work like hockey balance kind of coming to a collision there. And it's funny because I later told like obviously everybody I worked with and my boss and they're like, You're an idiot. Like you should answer the phone. It's like, well, I was just trying to do the right thing for Cameron. So in the future yep. if Wayne Gretzky ever calls me. I'm obviously going to answer my phone, but in that moment, I thought that was the right thing to do and <laughs> try to call him later. But left. hopefully,
0: yeah. Campbell gave you a raise after that. Talk about <laughs> loyalty. I love yeah. that.
4: Yeah, no, no kidding.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, listen, Mike, I think that's a great way to cap off uh, this interview. What a story, my God. Um, but listen, thank you for investing your time in us reaching out. We'd love that you came on the pod and I think uh, this is something in the future we, we can have you on again. It would be great. So f- from myself and I'll let the boys take over here. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah.
1: Th- thanks Mike. Like we, as a podcast, we'll, we'll be able to get your, uh, your book out. Cause I'm sure, We'll guys like me up. and Shemino, our guys in our program, will, uh, will want to buy this book. So, um, best of luck with the new book coming out, and uh, we'll be in touch once the leaf season gets going. Because I know me and you are avid fans. So,
4: yeah, no, no, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. So definitely uh, happy to do it again. Maybe once the book drops in the future. Yes. But, yeah. No. I remember. I was at dinner at my mom's house on the weekend. I'm like, mom, you're not going to believe it. They're starting jumbo on the line with, with Matthew <laughs> <and> <laughs> only, only my mom, who's like probably the only other biggest Leafs fan I know, would like actually like, she's like, what? So like, That's excited. Awesome. she's excited. Let's see what happens. Let's
0: awesome. Awesome. Mace, you want to say anything, bud?
3: Uh, yeah. Sorry, Mike. I was on mute, but I ordered three coffees of the book during the interview. I'll get these guys reading them uh, at least a page a day.
4: Awesome. And it'll be, also, our, ad- it'll
3: be yeah, our ad read. read. Yeah, if you come any, across any facts from the Wolves nineteen eighty to eighty four, uh, my dad was on that team, so I'd love uh, love if you find anything there.
4: Yeah, awesome. for sure, I'll definitely send some stuff your way. Beautiful, oh, awesome.
0: awesome. thanks, well, thanks for so up the
4: book. It's a it's a good bathroom book, so you don't have to read it all in one shot. You have to <laughs> let it hang out there and read a couple pages every once in a while.
0: Love it. <laughs> thanks, Mike. And that was the interview with Mike Camido ladies and gents. Let's go right to Tom thoughts. That
1: Wayne Gretzky story. Talk about, the, I, I can't even imagine all being time. at lunch. And he, like, I think he mentioned his daughter was sick right that day. So he was on a work lunch and then he had his recorder, which you guys all heard. I find that hilarious. He's at the Apollo 2 Greek restaurant. I have to shut out that Too place. good. But uh can you imagine if he actually went in there and he spent like 20 minutes cause Wayne was just going off and then he had to come back. Yeah. Sorry. I got the runs or something. That yeah. All time. But, uh, pure beauty, his books on Amazon and we got into that, but make sure to check that book. out. That was yes. Awesome book.
0: Yes. I think, uh, uh, Cameron's got to give him a raise, uh, for what he went through that day. He turned, he turned away Wayne Gretzky for his work. So good on Mikey for that. Mace, you got anything, bud?
3: I think it's just so cool how he wasn't born in all of these eras, but he knows everything yeah. from everywhere. Like not just the LA Kings or Subway Wolves. Like he'll pull, like he was pulling facts out from, from everywhere.
0: His wealth and of knowledge is unbelievable.
1: I mentioned in the interview that I, I kind of said that Steve Dangle basically told you to kick rocks. So let me just correct that. Okay. Listeners. I said, kick rocks as in like, I know Steve Dangle from watching his YouTube videos. As like a guy that's very energetic with the Leafs. So I don't know. The kick rocks just came right to my mind right away because I just see him as like energetic and maybe he was like very vocal towards Mike when he had to tell him that he wasn't part of the Leafs organization. But I think Steve Dangle has a soft side as well and told Mike uh, in a polite way that he didn't want him to work for him. Not the I just see my I just see Steve Dangle as like energetic. So that's what came to just my mind. Just
3: backpedaling at home. Nervous Dangle's coming after you.
1: No, no. Steve Dangle's a beauty. I actually watched his video yesterday on the blue and white game, which we might have to get into
0: because Jumbo I'm Joe. Absolutely Bucks... not. Sick absolutely not. on the first line absolutely not um so again that was our interview with mike Camito. thanks again for coming on mike uh was a lot of fun and hopefully yes. we'll get you get john again and uh hey fans let us know what you thought of it did you like it did you not like it we love the feedback and if you got any pointers for us please let us know
1: all right yeah the feedback there to give out is make sure alex reads the intro
0: not Tommy. let's move on well tom you landed him so i gave you i gave you the intro. Thank you. Right. So kudos Thank you. to Tom there.
1: Thanks okay. buddy. There it is. The little tummy little sticks. Little tummy sticks. You. There. Okay,
0: Tom. That's Love it, bud. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's get into the draft, the BTB hockey pool draft. Oh baby. What a night it was. A couple names, a couple people getting drafted. It was unbelievable. And we'll uh, break it down here. Tom, let you take it away. First off, let's talk about the league, what it entails, what the rules are, so, everyone knows about it. Tom, go ahead.
1: All right. So, we have 12 people in our pool, as you can tell from the Instagram page. Let me just go back and read the divisions quickly. Uh, Alex, I'm not sure if you want to. I got him here, but. You want to mention the rules? Yeah. The rules? Uh
0: okay, sure. but I'm going to let
1: me read the division. So, okay. Yeah, let me read the divisions first. So, divisions, there's three divisions in our pool, with the first division being Mason, myself, Bros before Ajo's, which is Evan McLean, the golfer who can't win a old Kids golf match. I mean, then we have James Green to tally up Division 1, okay? Division 2 is co-host Alex Cimino. Average Joe's with his Anthony Zilio. I got no mats, I got no mats. The Whalers squad, which is Holden Whale. And then my dad, who is Paul's
0: team. That's division. a group of death right there. I so just want to let you know.
1: You you got Zilio. You got Holden Whale. I'm in one there. And then you got Paulie. okay? So Division 3 is Mr. Cole McKay um uh, brett Jacqueline, a little bit of sue greyhounds connection there and then you got the gg squad which is the girls of the twins and kaylee and then you got lu baseball stud jackson Kingshot to wrap up division three so
0: and and the girls with mike uh mike as well. is so a huge informant this. there um yeah. okay so here here are the rules so um it's head-to-head so each week for seven days you're playing against someone whether it's in your division or not um and the points are as uh, so so you have to take two centers for you have to have your lineup setting with two centers two left wing two right wing four the two utility players which is anyone except the goalie and then two goalies five bench and two people that you can slap on the ir and the points are as follows. Goals are worth three. Assists are worth two. Plus, minus is plus one and minus one. If it's a plus or minus, power point, power, power play points. Marble mouth, one. Shorthanded points are one. Shots on goal are point three. Face-off wins are point one. Hits are point 0.5, And then goalie stat category wins are five. Goals against are minus one. Saves are point two. And shutouts are five. And how the playoffs work now makes you can correct me if I'm wrong. So we got three divisions. So it's division winners advance, and then it's the next five top records. Correct. Yes. Okay. So that's how the playoffs is going to work. So eight teams make the playoffs. Um and I can see Evan McLean probably is not going to make uh, the playoffs out of that. But anyways, uh, let's let's move on to the teams. And we got a special guest here to break down the teams and kind of give his thoughts on it, ladies and gentlemen. Brother of Tommy Vlahos, we're getting the whole family. Next one is Emmy to come on the podcast, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Welcome Demis Vlahos to the pod. And Themi, uh, let's run through the divisions, brother. But,
1: but before Themi goes, though, we have to give a little intro about him that he is the Bet three sixty five God. God. him multiple times to quit his job at RBC to uh take people's money to invest into bet365
0: gambling and, because it's a, a truckers on this app. And if you read Tom's X factor of if you give me money I'll make you rich it's actually that's themis to to be it, it, honest. You're totally right. He, he's a god. He's a Greek god. So
1: yeah. uh will will send it over to themis to give his thoughts here.
5: I appreciate you boys uh having me on the podcast and I totally do agree with you that if uh if you do have my mom on the show that you might want to plug off two hours because it might take a while for her to go through all of her stories. <laughs> but but uh, as Tom, get him, gonna... oh, get him on the camera. Oh, you want to get him on the camera? Yeah, get him on the camera. Yeah, okay. so uh, I really appreciate the offer you guys having me on the podcast. I uh, did a little bit of research here because Tommy only gave me about half an hour to go through everything. <laughs> so uh, thank you for throwing me under the bus. I appreciate that. But a um, couple of things I wanted to highlight that with the divisions and the teams and everything like that. I figured um, I kind of I'll go through a division breakdown for each divisions. So division one, I really, really like Mason's team. I believe that he has the ability to go deep into the playoffs and pull out the victory here. Couple Thank you. There's a couple of players I want to highlight. He's got probably the best center in the league in Austin Matthews and the combination with Matthew Brazil. You can't really go wrong with that combination. <laughs> oh, I, I really also like his bench, too. He's got a couple of sleepers in Byfield and Capo Caco and. Not, like I said, I'm not really sure who Sean Walker is, but if he's poised to have a breakout season like uh, Pierre LeBron mentioned on Twitter, then who knows where, where this guy could take Mason. And then he does have a very good, diverse um, goaltender pool with Leonard Price and, and Antoine. That's pretty loaded. So he's got a very, very solid team from top to bottom. So he is my prediction to win, win Division one. Duh, I'm in that Division a <laughs> eh, so... and then Talk I... to
0: Dustin Brown at like <laughs> nine.
5: <laughs> Let me finish here. I was going to go... <laughs> First place Mason in that division. Second place is I'm going to have to go with my brother Tom. Third place I'm going to have to go with James team and I have to shout out shout out Evan because I don't know what he was doing with his draft. This might be the worst team I've ever seen in my entire life. Evan I think you should just honestly stick to golf because you're way better at golfing than you are (laughs) drafting an NHL draft team. So like, I don't know why you took Stencil. I don't think he's going to have a good year this year, but maybe next year he'll probably have a breakout year. I don't know who Eric Cernak is, to be completely Chernak, honest. Cernak, Cernak. Cernak. He had 11 points last year and you took him. I'm not sure why you did that. <laughs> also don't know who Ilya Sorkin is, so you might want to... Islander's rec- away from the KHL. Might want to reconsider that pick as well. So that's my breakdown for Division I. Uh Division II, uh, like jamino said, that is a very, very tough group. Um, I... My prediction for that one has to be Whaler's squad. I really like his uh, his center in Dreisaitl, and he has arguably the best defenseman, upcoming defenseman in the league in Kale McCarr. So I really like his his team top to bottom as well. It's very diversified. He doesn't have a lot of players invested into one team. He's got a bunch of players from different teams, which I think is a good strategy. And then I think the breakdown for that team is Whaler's squad at number one. I'm going to have to go with Zilio's team at number two. Pauli team at number three and Chimino's team at number four.
0: Oh my God. Then
5: <laughs> talk. To I me. knew he was going to hate you for that one. Talk,
0: talk to me then. What, what's going on here?
5: I don't know. I just think, like you said, the team, that division's tough with everyone. I don't yes. really think you have a go-to goal scorer on your team to I be agree. completely honest. I agreed. You, I mean, you have Panarin who put up uh, 32 goals last year, but besides him, I don't really think you have a go-to guy. Um, and like I said, uh, with the whole ir situation with you picking up sagan and doc i think that might benefit you in the later parts of the season but in order to have a good to make the playoffs you have to start off hot out of the gates so. i agree tom
0: i mean that, uh, might, them. that that's might be your,
5: that might be your downfall but who like who knows it. that's just, it's just my prediction
0: i like it i like them Thank and you. then
5: for for division three my standout team in division three has to be brett's team this guy's team is absolutely loaded he has mckinnon landis Cog, and burakovsky so Colorado puts up seven, eight goals in one game. He's going to get a lot of points, so that'll ben- benefit him a lot too. He's got the leading defenseman um, from last season as well in John Carlson. So I think he's got a solid back end as well. He's also got Zach Berninski. Uh, the one thing I don't like about Brett's team is I don't know why he picked up Jumbo Joe. Um, he's a vet for the Leafs. He'll probably do a lot of good things for the, for the Leafs this season, but I don't think he's a good fantasy pickup. So Brett, I would maybe recommend dropping him and picking somebody else. But you do you do have a very strong goaltending backline with Rask, Morazic, and and Ranta as well. So you're very very set, or you're in a good position moving forward for sure. I wanted to highlight the girls' team in that division as well. They have a very good uh, team top to bottom as well. They're very they have Striflin and Barkov, who are probably one of the top ten centers in the league for sure. So those are the two players I'd watch out for on their team. And they're very. They have a deep bench as well. They have uh, Hurdles, Zucker, Hornquist, Felino, and Kessel coming off the bench. Those guys could probably start on a lot of teams if uh, you guys drafted correctly. So I think those guys. I think the girls are poised to be a breakout team. And those. That's my sleeper team for the, uh, for the draft. I, I should say. And then in Division Three, I think Brett's team is going to finish one. Uh, Jackson's team number two. The girls at number three and Cole's team at number
0: four. Suck it, McKay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, sucking McKay because he dates, uh, what Easy. was it? No, no, I'll shut him out. He dates um, a guy on his team's sister, so that's that's funny. Tom's. Tom's. I actually <laughs> coached against his dad, and I beat him in midget anyway. See, his dad played in NHL. Is play. another
0: Talos Cuff uh, reference. We're going to start hearing that's, that a lot what, with McKay. Around. You want to
1: say, say thank you to my
0: brother, Jim, or what? Yes, Demi thank you for the honest predictions. It, it hurt hearing that, but I am in the group of death, So I agree. I'm not really happy with my team either. So uh, thank you for that. It was awesome. And uh, we'll definitely keep you around as our informant, as we keep going on. So thanks Demi. No problem guys. Thanks for having me. Beauty. One thing I'd like to mention. So we had an IG story put out and I wanted to hear and I wanted to see what everyone would like, who, who would like out of these groups of people, for the pool, who they have as their top runner. So we'll go. So the first group I had, the Gigi's the squad, Jacqueline, James Green, and Tommy Tells, Cup Vlahos. Jaco took the fan vote at 19, but it was tight. Tommy had 15, and the Gigi's and Greener were both deadlocked at 10. So that was a tight group. Then I want to move in to my group, which also featured Mason Savage. Mason Savage, myself, Cole McKay, Holden Whale. i just like to mention... Um, I don't know what happened, but I was checking the votes and I noticed that behind the bench podcast account voted for uh, Mason Savage. Not sure what happened there, uh, Savvy, but uh, we'll uh, shut you out there. But um, I led the way at 35, fan favorite, but my team, you know, we'll see what happens. Savvy with 11, Cole McKay with eight, and Colden Whale with six. Then we go into the pool on this side. We got Pauly host Anthony Zillio, Jackson Kingshot, and Evan McLean. And Paulie was the outright winner with 31. Guy's a stud. He was hilarious on the draft last night. Also asks a lot of questions and a lot of good questions. He kept us on our toes, kept us honest last night, Tom.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that was stressful sending them up with technology and getting them signed up for that this uh, pool, let me tell you um he said he had a yahoo account but then he couldn't remember his password so we had to set his <laughs> password typical old man technology but no it's good to have him on one thing though alex you mentioned those results let's make sure that the divisions we broke down prior to that are the divisions we're going for for the pool those picks you just announced are like little different
0: groups those aren't the they were, groups. No, yeah, exactly they were not the divisions. Just, it, just if it was prior to the draft, draft. Yes, yes thank you tom no um Okay, so I think that's going to do it for the pool list, and we'll update every week on what's going on, and uh, hopefully uh, – I
1: played Mason first week, and he took my boy, Awesome Matthews, because I got ninth pick, Jesus Christ. You you two got four and five. Set well, up I set yourself. the league up, so. Oh, yeah, then, yeah, well, yeah. There right. you go. And my dad so, gets
0: number one. That's fixed. Okay. So – January 13th starts. We'll have an update next week for sure um, and see how it goes. Okay, let's move on here um, to Instagram Q&A, always sponsored by Mayhew Performance for all your mining and health consulting needs. Reach out to them at www.mayhewperformance.com. You can hit up Mikey and Nikki there. Great family, uh, and you can reach out to them. Okay, we had a bunch of questions come in here, boys. Have any of you seen it before I start? No. Okay, well, let's go. First question comes from Andy Veyer. How excited are the lads for the KED to be built? Imagine having a barn that is big as London's. We'll start it off with Tom. Um,
1: I think I mentioned this multiple times. If the casino is a go ahead as well, I think Mason are going to drop a couple couple bucks in that place. But no, I'm excited. Like I mentioned, if they get this arena built, maybe the wolves can actually finally be host of a memorial cup. So I'm excited. I'm, I love new facilities. I like traveling in new arenas. I want to go to Vegas to see their, their facility. Um, let's hope this gets done. Cause we, we've been waiting for a long time out. So yeah, savvy.
3: Uh, all I care about the Kingsway entertainment district is, uh, like Mike said on our interview, as long as they bring the taxidermied wolf, that's, that's all that matters for me. <laughs> love it. Savvy. Uh,
0: I've been a big proponent for it. I'm excited. I can't wait to, uh, to go watch the Wolves and the Five in there uh, one day. And it uh, should be good. So thanks, Andy, for the question. Uh, next question comes from Dario Baldo. You guys, uh, you won't have an answer for it because I got to tell the story here. Um, why does Al have a deep-rooted hate for New York City? All right, let's get into it. Here's a story, boys. So I was on uh, grade 11 business trip with Giuseppe Politti. Uh I think I know this one. Okay, yeah, cool. Giuseppe Pellitti, who was a guest on the podcast, and uh, we had a couple hours to go shopping. Uh, if you don't know New York, there's always people pushing mixtapes. They want your money. They want mixtapes. They want to sell you CDs, whatever they're trying to sell. And right. me being someone who's really never been to the States prior to then, or any type of atmosphere like New York City, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. So we were out uh, shopping, and I decided uh, to go sit on the bench by myself. <laughs> I was wearing a Carlos Beltran Yankees jersey with a Yankees hat and uh, and a fanny pack with my wallet in it. Fanny so, pack, pack. So I was sitting there, and these two guys come up to me, and they kind of sit beside me, ask where I'm from, all this kind of stuff. We're just kind of shooting the shit, and I was uh, a totally – I had no clue what was going on. So he goes, listen, I got a mixtape for you. Signs and throws it into my shopping bag. Throws it into my... I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if i give it back to him or not. He threw it in there. He goes, "Uh, just so you know, for a little donation to the rap game, blah, blah, blah. So I pull... First mistake. 17, 16-year-old me look back and go, what an idiot. I pull my wallet out. Oh, Thought I had ones on me because we're in the States. Only had 20s on me. <laughs> so I pull out a $20 bill. I said, screw it, whatever. Just get this guy out of my face. I pulled a 20 out and the the American money sticks together. So I actually pull out 40 bucks. And he, as soon as he saw that, he, he's licking his chops, grabs the money for me. And I kind of like try to yank it back and he rips out and walks away. So now I'm sitting here, I'm I'm stunned. I looked to the guy beside me who was with him. He goes, do you want me to go chase after him and give you the money back? Me being like, oh, okay. And he just took off. And that was the end of the story. I uh, I got fleeced for 40 bucks in New York City. It was traumatizing for me at the time. And I couldn't wait to leave that city. Did you, did you have to tell Maria that or what? I called her. I actually <laughs> called her right after. I was. It was a sad day for me.
3: Nice. Don't you have the mixtape? Like, don't you know who this guy is?
0: Um. I actually did not want anything to do. I was so upset. I did not want anything to he do. You threw it, it out. No, I didn't throw it out. One of my, uh, one of the friends, Mark Tom, took it. He, uh, I, now I don't know. It was DJ something. He he actually uh, played the CD in his car when we got back and he was sending me videos. He actually had music on it. So $40 donation to the rap game uh, in New York City <laughs> from me.
1: That is so you though. Oh my God. I'm surprised you didn't take off your clothes and get on that
0: too idiot idiot move and <laughs> never time. wear a Yankees jersey or anything that represents you're a tourist it's so stupid but uh thanks Dario, for the question I thought I'd throw that story out there and hopefully no uh, you get a few chuckles from that okay next question comes from Jake Byrne who will have a better NHL career Tim Stutzel, Quinton Byfield, Tom take it away
1: oh I'm gonna say Q Byfield long-term stencil short term does that make any sense i think yeah like it Stencil will be there right away uh and produce in the like top six minutes right away q might take him a couple of years to get there i don't even know if he's going to get into the lineup with la this year um but you can't go wrong with that size being q, q byfield and plain center and being mentored by onzai kokotai right so he could be the next him For in a sure. sense so long-term, I'm going to say by field, but short-term, I'm to say stencil because that guy lit up the world juniors and his skill is off the charts.
3: So right, Savvy. Yeah, I completely agree with Tom. I think he's a little bit more of a project, but he's going Thanks, to be mate. a superstar. Thanks, an absolute buddy. Absolute superstar.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tom, you answered it perfectly. That's exactly what I would have said. a so,
1: Burton, good question, buddy.
0: And and Camido already talks about it. A lot of people try to, you know, judge him on uh on six games at a world junior tournament so Can't judge uh, yeah just just Can't be careful on, on that for sure if you judged Tim stutzel it would you know same thing right yeah. okay let's move on question from Ale- alex Can, what's his name tom alexis affairs oh, alexander Zafiris, my cousin beauty Perfect. i didn't want to bu- butcher that um oh, no. so he goes and this is a pretty good question i'm gonna send it over to savvy What do you find to be the most challenging aspect of managing a podcast?
3: Ooh, I think just attention to detail in terms of editing is probably the art or for me, the hardest part. Uh, I let you guys really run the social. So I'm more just for me, managing it is, is just kind of making sure the edits are there. The transitions are there. There's been a couple of weeks where we've gone back and forth just because I can't get it right. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, but honestly, after 11 episodes now, it, it's getting easier. So, I think just putting the practice in is something that we've never really done. Right. Uh, but, yeah, what, what are your guys' thoughts on the social side or the right. kind of guest acquisition I, side? I think
1: the hardest part is finding the time that works for, in the sense, me and Alex and the guests that we're having on to interview. I feel like we have a lot of candidates that want to come on and that we want to have on our show as well and just find the time to balance me and alex's coaching along with school and trying to find what works for them most and then finding the time obviously and you can say doing the research as well for the questions uh, making sure you actually have good questions for the person because you want to tire them out or waste their time waste their time exactly so i think finding a time that works for the person we're interviewing i think is the hardest part but nothing's really hard though it's like it's part of running this podcast, right? So good question for my cousin who is a call of duty. God, I have to shut him out there. So
0: for, for me running the socials, it's, it's finding what's entertaining, what, what are people going to like? And just, that kind of aspect's tough for me. I just, I want to understand what people are trying to click to. Why are we sometimes, why do we lose followers sometimes? Why do people lose interest? What hashtags you use? What are the tricks of the trade? Um, so I think that that was a really good question. That That's a struggle. Um, but we're we're going to keep coping with it. We're going to keep going through. Um, okay, last question to end it. I know we, we've done a bunch, but this needs to be out there. August Jarecki asks... Does it really count as going to the TELUS Cup if you were hosting it and in brackets made it there too, no big deal? Yes, it counts.
1: It's the <laughs> luck of the draw. It's the luck of the draw of being a 2000 baby, being able to be the host in 2018. Like if I was a 2003, my mom and dad didn't have me early, in, or early enough. You know, I got the luck of the draw to be in this tournament and to be on this team or good enough to be on this team
3: so i think it counts yes mace uh i, I don't know i got a couple uh backdoors into nasa and off for my end of my goaltending career and i don't really brag about it but it's a whole different breed there. all right the telus cup not the the telus cup the national stage baby how many games you guys win that tournament tom huh? none nice <laughs> wow right. um Wow. I think August August's team won. That was they had Cirks on that team, the Franson brothers. Did they win tell us? Was he on that? No Dylos way he team? won. I'm pretty sure they won that year. He was yeah. on the 8 team. That one was he on with? Oh no, RG, no that, that that's Ryan Johnson, uh, Chris McDougal, yeah. Kirk Killing, Kirk. They haven't
0: won since that year though. So no, but sorry, they they won to make they want it want to game. Game. Oh, yeah, they yeah actually, game. actually they, they earned, won to
1: get there. Yes, they okay. their in the sense of let shit. me put my non-bias had here okay like in the sense of actually winning provincials and then going to nationals is definitely more achieving than just being the host i will agree on that because we didn't do that well at provincials either because we had of that in the back of our head of being the host that like we were already there type of thing
0: what, right? what i will say if you put a business lens on it you need to have the host team there or else you're gonna have a hard time attracting people um right to two games that's my opinion um people may differ that it's the talent but i think if you have a whole nation that, that's someone to root for i think yeah. that's going to help a lot not,
1: not my problem though being born in 2000 and then just making a major midget team and then being handed the telescope so in that sense yes to augie's question but like it's way more achieving in his sense of actually winning provincial and then getting there but good question hey,
3: hockey canada also made a youtube video I just saw, yeah. a feature on august recki so we have so to recently. put that out there so I think uh I think he's got a little little one up on you there Tom. Yeah yeah Tom, and he Tom, was in a, in Tom's
0: a- got one as well actually. Yeah I have a uh
1: 45 minute From or 45, 45 second uh rapid fire it's like the fast five mace that I had I got like favorite singer all that stuff so maybe we have to clip that.
3: Yeah. Augie's haircut is phenomenal. Yeah,
0: yeah he
1: looks great. Okay good question Augie.
0: Put me my that- That's going to do it for the Q&A. Thanks, everyone, for reaching out. We'll obviously do it every episode. Um, And that is going to do it for episode 11 of Behind the Bench Season 2. Also, we forgot to mention at the start, but we rebranded, baby. We got a new logo. Thank you to Matty Mayhew for, who made that last logo for us. But we had to, you know, get a little more color, a little more fire into it. Mason uh, made a new one, which we thought is great. Just easier for for branding and profile pics and that. But um, obviously the old logo will never be forgotten. Matty Mayhew with the OG logo. So thanks, buddy. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, so that's going to do it. Again, you're already listening, but we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Check us out there. Check us out on Instagram at BTB Podcasts double underscore um, and feel free to reach out to the boys with whatever you got suggestions for anything. We're open. Um, So reach out to us. We'll talk to you guys soon. That's going to do it. Episode 11 season two starts and we'll see you next week. Take care Love you guys. Peace.